This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who thought it would be a cool idea to host a playoff pool where we redraft every round, assuming stupidly that the NHL would do one round at a time and not have two games of round two going while round one isn't even finished. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, is my very good friend, co-host, and fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Elon, I love how even though the fantasy season is essentially over, some of us are playing playoff pools. You're still coming in breathless and pumped and that's i guess what happens after a two-week layoff i am excited to be back on the mic with you who brilliantly have found so much to talk about from the five to seven games that have been played by playoff teams only over the last couple weeks i think we've got some really good content for you considering that the regular season which is our bread and butters is over yeah, this is going to be a really good show that no one is going to listen to. But for those of you who are listening, we respect you and appreciate you so much for sticking with us, even though your fantasy seasons have long passed. But yeah, just because the playoffs are going on, just because these games aren't affecting our fantasy leagues, except for playoff pools, doesn't mean that these playoff games aren't going to give us little tidbits and factoids that we can use to help uh, let us know what we should do for next year. So we're going to try our best to pick out things. I have a feeling for most of the things I'm going to ask you, Brian, you're going to say, eh, small sample size, don't worry about it. But still, it'll be interesting. Plus, it'll be fun to just hey. talk through what we've learned so far I just in the first round. To, for you and our listeners, I'm going to try very hard to not just say a eh, small sample size for the guys you've brought up today. I think I've actually done a pretty good job of, of offering more than that for player analysis this episode, which would be so easy because, yeah, we're not drawing any big conclusions from the last little bit, but it does give us a chance to reflect on some of the big performers and the small performers of the playoffs so far and what, what we might be able to extrapolate from that for the rest of the playoffs in next year. Yeah, plus, it's just fun to talk hockey. So let's get into it. I'm really excited. Of course, we're presented by DauberHockey.com. They're talking hockey all the freaking time. It's the number one website, honestly, for fantasy hockey, but even for hockey. Like, just great articles every day, like, in feature articles once a week by some of the really great writers. Plus, Frozen Tools is one of the best places you can go to get all the knowledge and filters and everything you know that you need to know to play fantasy. And it helps me tremendously to prep the podcast. It's Frozen Tools. It's Dauber Hockey. Check it all out. But, Brian, let's get into it. And we'll just kind of walk through the different series that happened 
in the first round. And let's start in Tampa, where they've actually just finished game one of round two versus the Hurricanes, where the Tampa Bay Lightning won two to one. And in the first round, the Lightning had a pretty tough matchup against the Florida Panthers. But in the end, they came away with the win in six games. And I want to start by talking about Nikita Kucherov, who has picked up right where he left off in last playoffs. He had 11 points in six games versus Florida, led the team. Uh, He has another assist today versus Carolina. So Kucherov is just freaking amazing. Someone, Brian, uh, I have a Kucherov Young Guns hockey card, and someone offered me $250 for it a couple weeks ago. I passed. I was hoping, like, for the upside of a potential con Smythe win to help that card boost in value. So I'm hoping that Kucherov will keep on rolling. Uh, You know, last year's con Smythe winner, Victor Hedman, he's not far behind. He's got eight points in the sixth game versus Florida. Uh, Stamkos also has eight points in the sixth games. But someone who I wouldn't have expected also is tied with those guys. That's Alex Killorn. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Killorn. But first, about Kucherov, I don't think we've talked about this. I don't know if it's still interesting, but when the playoffs started, there were so many takes about Tampa and how they, like, circumvented the cap because Kucherov was injured. And then, oh, wow, surprise, surprise, he was healthy. Look, we all knew that's what was going to happen, right? They were able to move him onto long-term injured reserve because of that legitimate injury, as far as I know, that he suffered in preseason, just as our cupful slow drafts had gotten off and running. And uh, I really don't begrudge them at all, the Lightning, for hiding him on their long-term injured reserve all year and saying, okay, you're good to go for the playoffs. Like the Lightning did face some adversity without him. They finished eighth, four points behind Florida. By the way, did you realize Florida finished ahead of Tampa in the standings? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Pittsburgh also finished two points ahead of Tampa. So clearly they they missed Kucherov. It hurt them in the standings. Uh, And then I did kind of laugh when I saw Kucherov. Like, yeah, it took me a couple games to shake off the rest before I felt good. In those couple games he was talking about, he had four points, two goals and two assists. So clearly it didn't hurt Tampa too much to have Kucherov out. It didn't hurt Kucherov uh, too much to miss the whole season. But is it bad that I don't care? Like, I really, I don't mind at all. If a team wants to sit their star player because he's injured all season to gain some much-needed cap space, eh. Uh, I mean, I think it's cheating. Like, I mean, there's, a, there's the point of the salary cap is all the other teams but have to But it's not actual stay- cheating because he was injured. Well, exactly. So I think the idea is most people are assuming that he was probably fine like a month ago or two yeah. months ago and they just kept him off. And other teams probably would have been okay. happy to have so- star players to stash. In, just like in fantasy, right? I'd love yeah. to just stash people in IR and save them for my fantasy playoffs without having to drop. I mean, so you know. If that's the issue, if he was able to come back a month before he actually did... But he didn't because of cap reasons. Does that sit? That sits okay with me. I, that is like stashing that IR, that formerly IR eligible guy on your roster in fantasy. So Tampa just did the real life version of it, and I kind of like tip my hat to them. Okay, it's interesting. I don't know. There's some things obviously that that really bug you in hockey when people are breaking the rules. Obviously, you're more concerned about player safety and things like that, which I think makes sense. Yeah, this isn't like the most egregious thing in history, but I think if I was another team in the NHL and I found evidence i guess it's probably gonna be hard to find this evidence if tampa was smart they probably got all the doctors on ndas and they're not going to share any information but if there was evidence that kucherov was healthy and they were cheating then i feel like i would feel like uh not happy about that because all the other teams had to stay under the cap but anyways if you don't care that's i don't care that much i still got my kucherov young guns i'm still cheering (laughs) for tampa to win the cup but uh i don't know what to say like they broke the rules if he was healthy if you don't care whatever we're never gonna know i don't know whatever 
We'll never know. I just I just don't uh, see the reason to get bent all bent out. I mean, I guess the reason is if you're a competing team, you want uh, Tampa. I mean, Toronto's great at managing the cap and doing all kinds of backflips to find little loopholes and ways to leverage themselves, which is also completely, well, it's more legal than what Tampa did if Kucherov was, in fact, not injured. Did you um, care about when the New England Patriots were, like, deflating footballs? Did that, Or wasn't there a baseball thing where, like, teams were stealing signs? Yeah. Do you care about any of that stuff? Is it oh, specifically yeah. This? So why yeah, do you, so why do you care Houston about the Houston Astros? Yeah. Like the, so, yeah, that, that seemed bad. Uh, the deflated footballs, I, I didn't follow it that closely, but that also seemed bad. This just doesn't seem that bad. You don't I think don't the know. salary cap rules are that important to follow, I guess? Like I, I'm just trying to get what's your point. I guess, like I, I, I guess you interrupted I my important Alex Kilorn <laughs> talk. So obviously just, you must have something interesting to say here. I could see that, um, like, the the stealing signs and the deflated footballs would help a team have a really unfair advantage in a single hockey game in a single game of whatever sport they're playing to win. I just don't see the same for Tampa in the Kucherov well, situation. If Kucher if they followed the rules, then they would have had to like trade someone, right? Or drops or not sign yeah, someone. Like wave like, Tyler Johnson or something. Yeah, like they I think they've got a bonus player to help them in their playoff run, I think. Uh so I don't know, maybe tweet at us at Kevin Carlson. Let us know what you think the consequence would have been if Tampa followed the rules. Assuming Kucherov was healthy. But anyways, okay. Let's get back to uh, Alex Killorn. Obviously, let's like, get, right. let's get I don't want to silence you. It's like Alex Killorn. Well, obviously, it's not such a hot take to say that Kucherov's doing well, Hedman, Stamkos doing well. But I'm interested because I think a lot of us have come to accept over this season that Andre Palat is sort of that next good Tampa forward. And obviously, there's Braden Point as well. But after Point, it's like Palat's been the one this season, like kind of pulling up the slack for Kucherov. He's been getting the you know top line time with Point. He's been on the top power play. Now, all of a sudden, in these playoffs with Kucherov back, it's Killorn who has eight points in six games. Andre Palat hasn't done anything. He's three points in the six games versus Florida, and I think a big reason is the deployment, because Killorn was doing not that great this season. He ended up with a 48-point pace. I remember he was hot for a little bit, cold for a little bit, but now, instead of playing with Tyler Johnson and Sorelli, which were Killorn's most common line mates in the regular season, he spent the playoffs with Stamkos and Sorelli, and he's been on the top power play with Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, and Hedman, leaving Palat down on power play, too. Uh, and, you know, P- Palat, who, like I said, 70-point uh, pace in the regular season. He had this, like, breakout year. He's been bumped from the stack top power play, still on a good line with Point and Kucherov, but losing the top power play clearly hurts. Brian, I'm curious to know, as of now, if you were if you were still in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, about to draft for round two, and I know one game has already happened for Tampa, who would you take between Palat and Killorn? Because I think Palat probably went ahead of Killorn in most playoff pools, but at this point, if you could take Killorn, would you? I would. For the playoffs, I would take Killorn, just because I think that top power play unit is going to be so, so key. If we're talking regular season, I think it'd be really close between Palat and Killorn. And remember, the reason that Killorn is still on the top unit and Palat isn't is because Palat had taken Kucherov's place as the left-handed shooter on the right-hand side of the Tampa power play. But of course, with Kucherov back, he's reclaimed that spot for himself. But Killorn has kept his role in front of the net. So you look at what Palat did in the regular season. He pays for 30 power play points compared to his usual like 10 or so power play points from the second unit. And basically that accounts for the entire difference between this year's 70 point pace and Palat's usual 50 point pace. Not that Killorn is necessarily much better, right? They're both 50 point guys. They both have upside for 60. Palat gets more points than 50 if things break well for him at five on five. 
Kalorin gets more points if things break well for him on the power play. Um, so yeah, I guess you just asked me about the playoffs, but I'm looking further than that because I think That's you know one round it could be even. Uh, like if I am trying to decide who to draft first next year, I think I'm I'm leaning ever so slightly to Palat just because I'll go I'll go talent, and we also saw Alex Barry Boulay. Get some time on the top unit, too. And I wonder if he's someone who could legit steal time from Kaloran going forward. Also, for for what it's worth, I don't know how much you believe in this, Elon. We talked about it in the first couple years that we did Keeping Carlson, but we haven't in a while. Andre Palat is in a contract year next season. I've never been a, a huge believer in that being like a catalyst for a big season, but it may be enough to tilt the scales towards wanting Palat over Kaloran hmm. for me. I mean, to me, I feel like Palat is going to go with the deployment, right? Like, and the contract year doesn't help or hurt because it's not up to him to decide if he gets to be on the top power play or not. So I feel like, obviously, it's like not worth like having a big, long debate about Palat versus Killorn. But I do think that going into next season, from what we're seeing in these playoffs, I think it's a hint that Palat might be a little bit overrated for anyone who's going to be doing their typical drafting technique. Yeah. You know, the casuals that get the scores from last season, get all the points, and then just pick kind of based on that. I think Palat's probably going to be overrated. Maybe Killorn will be underrated because, like I said, this whole season, he's been without a superstar. All of a sudden, if Kucherov and Stamkos are both in the lineup, maybe Killorn gets to play with one of them and also potentially on that stack power play. So just things to keep in mind. But like you said, there could be a total dark horse like Barry Boulet who ends up trouncing both of these guys and they'll both end up not being worth grabbing. But I think uh, my big takeaway so far from this first round of the playoffs for Tampa is that Andre Palat's season this year might have been a bit of a mirage, you know, and like we'll see what it's like next year once everyone's healthy. That's a really good point, Elon, that like Palat is exactly the kind of guy who you want to flag on your draft list for next year, who's going to be ranked highly. And you're going to have to remember that the context, unless Kucherov is out again for the whole season. Now, now that I'd be mad about if Kucherov suddenly like got hurt, quote unquote, uh, in preseason and missed the whole year, then then I'd be suspicious. And oh, maybe this isn't quite up to snuff. But in the meantime, yeah, Palat is a guy who isn't likely to have the opportunity to repeat this season again so i actually that might be a fun episode elon at some point this offseason whose uh, situations are going to have changed the most so that we can expect the least repeatability from this season to next season yeah definitely that could be a fun well, i mean we generally do some episodes of like players yeah. who did well that we expect to not do as well so i guess it would be generally in that vein and we'll definitely be pumping out all kinds of content like that in the off season but let's still focus on these playoffs for now and let's switch to the panthers the other side of this florida matchup and there was definitely a mix of good and bad for this team i was really hoping for them to go on a run this season i think it was bad luck for them to get tampa who like you say brian like florida was the higher seed but obviously that was a higher seed over a team that didn't have Kucherov during the regular season, all of a sudden got this superstar back just in time. Uh, on the plus side for the Panthers in this series, like Huberdeau and Barkov did their things, 10 and 7 points respectively in 6 games. Man, Jonathan Huberdeau just has really become such a huge stud over these past couple of years, and Barkov is Barkov. Uh, Sam Bennett continued his regular season success, 5 points in the 5 games he played when he wasn't suspended. Hornqvist had 5 points in 6 games. Uh, Owen Tippett looked good on the second line with Huberdeau and Bennett. He had 4 points in the first 3 games of the series. Nothing after that I think Tippett is definitely a guy who should be on our radars for next year. It looks like, you know, maybe this season he spent a lot of time in the bottom six, but it seems like he's being groomed if these playoffs are any indication that he's going to be playing with Hornfist or 
you know, Barkov maybe next year. Uh, so that was awesome to see. Then on the negative side, you have Anthony Duclair, who we've been up and down on all season. He was quickly bumped down to the fourth line in favor of Mason Marchment, who joined Barkov and Verhage on the top line. No points in six games for Duclair, who was a huge bust for me. I picked him in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, and he's probably a big reason why I'm not going to be advancing. Uh, he's going to be a UFA this summer. It's hard to imagine that Florida is going to be interested in re-signing him, considering they just bumped him to the fourth line in the playoffs. Uh, so I'm curious to know what will happen with Duclair if he's ever going to be fantasy relevant again. And I guess my question for you about the Panthers is uh, who's the third Panther forward you're drafting next season? Let's say for points only, because I know Hornquist gets a bump because of his hits and shots and things like that. But let's say, you know, Barkov, Huberdo are gone. You want a Panther in a points only league. I'm curious to know. I feel like there's an argument that could be made for any of like Bennett, uh, Hornquist, Tippett, Verhage. I think it's going to be really tough to choose between those four. It really is. And I almost feel like I'm going to treat them the way I did in my playoff pools this year, which is let Barkov and Huberdeau go off the board. And then the rest of those guys you mentioned, Verhage, Hornqvist, Bennett, and Tippett are basically in a tier together. And I probably am not going to go ahead and draft one of them before somebody else starts the run on that Florida Panther forward tier. I think I'd probably have Verhage first, and then Hornqvist, and then Bennett, and then Tippett. I think that would be my ranking. How about you? I mean, I'm of a couple minds. It's really hard, right? Like, on one hand, Sam Bennett has basically been a point-per-game guy ever since he joined the Panthers in this playoffs. You know, we said in this last episode of, like, players were excited to see what they do in the playoffs. It was a small, you know, sample. We only saw five games out of Sam Bennett, but he got another five points. So he just keeps on piling on the points. Uh, On the other hand... You have Owen Tippett, who is an actual, like, guy with a pedigree, right? Like, he's super young still. He's only 22 years old. He was drafted 10th overall back in 2017. He's finally getting an opportunity, and he produced. Like, he had a good few games in these playoffs. So I'd be tempted to say him. Then you have Hornquist, who's just been a star. So I don't know. I, th- I think I might have Verhage last. I think I might rank it. Um, huh. I might go, like, Tippett. For- I think I might go Tippett first, and then Bennett, and then Hornquist, and then Verhage for points only. <laughs> Okay, so you ranked it pretty much exactly the opposite as me. But we're both, I, like, we're both close. I think basically says that this group is very, very even. I, there are different flavors, right? You've got Tippett, who's got this unknown upside. Uh, like, yeah, 10th overall in 2017. Decent pedigree. Uh, like, has been over a point per game in his junior career, which is basically the starting point of what you'd want to expect. But one thing I don't think we've ever mentioned is that Tippett had 40 points in 46 games in his first full season in the AHL with Springfield. So that was a really nice start to his professional career. And yeah, has been able to step up in certain opportunities that he's had on the top line, especially with some big shot games, which we love. Um, Hornqvist is Hornqvist. He might get injured, although like touch wood, he was pretty good this year. Uh, Bennett hits. So if you're in a hits league, oh boy, do you want Sam Bennett first of that group? Probably. And then Carter Verhege, I had him first Maybe it just reflects my drafting style. He seems the most locked in. Like, he's the one guy of that group. I don't have to worry about it all. Or at least I don't think so. He's going to be next to Barkov. He's going to put up points. I expect it a pretty similar pace to what he did this year. I don't need to worry about much turbulence in him moving up and down the depth chart. Uh, speaking of which, you started all this Florida talk with Anthony Duclair, who, yeah, not only didn't score a goal these playoffs, but wasn't even on the ice to celebrate a goal scored. No goals were scored with Anthony Duclair on the ice. I mean, that happens when you're bumped to the fourth line, right? Yeah, well, bumped. You you weren't there the whole time, right? So, oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they okay. weren't scoring. 
Yeah, Duclair wasn't scoring. No one was scoring. So they decided to blame Duclair. Well, uh, anyway, I trust Joel Quenville, honestly, in the coaching choices he makes. I don't hold the fact that Duclair got bummed or didn't score or nobody else on the ice scored, uh, like, hugely against him. But it is, of course, somewhat telling that Duclair was bumped down uh, for Mason Marchment. And Duclair only had six shots in six games in the series. He had the poorest five-on-five shot rates of any Panther outside of Alex Wenberg, who we have course expect to have um rock bottom shot rates i think overall though duclair got a bad edit this season i don't know if that's a fair way to phrase it with a lot of poor variants working against him like his first part of the season before he got injured he seemed like a great buy low target the entire time because he still got that top six ice time he still uh, was putting shots on net they just weren't going in even though they it seemed like his expected goals numbers were good, but his shooting percentage was real bad. Um, but he also, of course, never quite fit the mold of the player that Quenville wanted on the top line, which is why he was so mobile on a depth chart in, in a bad way for the most part. I'd love to see Duclair get another top six shot somewhere. He's not a perfect player, but I feel like there is still a situation somewhere that he can flourish offensively. I hope there's a team that takes a look. Uh, remember that he's his own agent, right? That was some of the reason why it took him so long to get signed for this year and why talks with Ottawa seem to not go smoothly or go oddly. Um, so I'm curious to see if he negotiates his own contract again or if he goes the agent route. Like, I kind of hope he hires an agent. It seems like that's a better way to get an NHL job. But uh, more power to him if he can negotiate himself. I just want to Claire in a place where he can get an opportunity next year because I'd like to see more. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it shouldn't be too hard for him to at least get a contract, right? He put up, in the regular season, he had 32 points in 43 games. That's a 61-point pace. So you just look at the numbers, and he had a good season. I think what I'm taking away, we'll see, obviously, where he signs. Uh, I think he will sign somewhere. I think what I'm taking away is that, like, Duclair seems like the kind of player who, like, clearly knows how to put up points when he's put in a good opportunity. Like, he's a good complimentary guy to go and play with a, a superstar player. Uh, you know, obviously, he did really well with Barkov. Maybe he has some defensive deficiencies, which probably means he's not a kind of player that you want to, like, bank on being good all season long, because I would imagine if he starts doing well next season on whatever team he's on, maybe he, once again, couldn't easily get bumped at some point as soon as the team starts it's not doing well or they want to shake things up so I think Duclair right now to me is the kind of player who like yeah grab in the last round of your draft if you know you're seeing in training camp that he's playing on the top line with whoever he's with and then try to trade him like he seems like a good flip player because he doesn't seem like someone I'm willing to you know rely on all season just because it's been a couple years now like last year in Ottawa also in 2019-20 he had that really great run made it to the all-star game then totally disappeared in the second half so we haven't seen that we've seen like the ability to be helpful in fantasy for sure but we haven't seen the consistent to like stay on your roster all season long one guy uh while you was you're talking about guys who can stay on your roster all season long how about ryan lomberg i just want to shout him out he seemed to be everywhere all the time during that playoff series like this is a guy who did not have much of an impact he played 34 games in the regular season fourth line minutes less than 10 minutes a night but then come the playoffs he played the whole series still saw fourth line minutes but like i can't only eight minutes a night but through 25 hits over six games and seemed to be really kind of like the the Florida's answer to Pat Maroon. Um, he didn't had a goal to boot. So I just uh, I just feel like he had the sort of playoff performance. Like this is a guy who's never been able to crack the NHL. 
like this year was uh, like he's already 26 years old. This year was the first time he played more than seven NHL games in a season, even though he's been a pro since 2015-16. This is not at all fantasy relevant, although I guess for hits leagues, maybe he's someone you keep an eye on next year. But Ryan Lomberg, I feel like must have really endeared himself to his teammates and coach and uh, might be one of those guys who just earned a roster spot because of his gritty playoff performance. Who? Ryan Lomberg? <laughs> yeah. He played eight minutes like, at night? And you're yeah. saying he's like earned himself a roster spot? I, he, was, okay. he was all over the ice. It seemed like well, he was everywhere. In the eight minutes that he Somehow. Was. I yeah. mean, if you asked me to estimate how many minutes a night he played based on me watching the games and not looking at the, the final score sheet, I would guess like... 11 to 13. Oh, all right. Well, hey, he played more minutes probably in the series than Keith Yandel, who got scratched for three of the games, three of the six games. Uh, I wonder who Joel Quenville hates more between Yandel and Duclair. It seems like both of them got uh, not the greatest treatment in this playoff round. Uh, I don't know. Yandel, so we'll see what happens with him. I think Florida would love to dump him if they can. Of course, the... They would love to dump him because clearly they don't want the negative PR from being the ones to cut Yandel's Iron Man streak short. Right? Do you remember oh, yeah. when when they scratched him? It's like it was all over. It's like this is not going to affect Keith Yandel's Iron Man streak. He continues to to be in the running for the longest streak ever, whatever uh, record he's chasing. Um, so I feel like they might offload him just to get that out of their hands. Be like, we don't want to be the ones to do it. Yeah, wasn't it like they were trying to get Yandel to waive a no-move clause or something? And so they were, like, threatening that, like, if you don't waive it, then we're going to scratch you and ruin your streak. Anyways, we'll see. I I feel like he's someone who might get moved, and I don't think he's someone who I would have high hopes for in fantasy next year. Just because, like, I don't know. It seems like maybe he's starting to get to the tail end of his career where he's not effective enough at the other parts of the game to make up for, like, how good he is on the power play. I'm sure they would love to move him. Two more years at $6.4 and uh, next year... I mean, they have they have some cap space, but not a ton. Well, yeah, and one reason for that is they also <laughs> have the other big disappointment of the round, which is Sergei Bobrovsky, who was just brutal. He let in five goals in each of the two games he started, including getting pulled in game four. He only played half the game and he let in five goals. Bob didn't even dress for the final two games, where Spencer Knight had that great one goal against game five. Then he held his own, letting in three goals and 23 shots in the 4 nothing game six loss. Uh, Chris Drieger is a pending UFA, so obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the Panthers. They're going to have to figure something out. This summer seems to make the most sense to just let Drieger walk because he's had a good year and he'll probably command some money and i don't think the panthers need to spend more money on goalies now so let's say drieger walks just for uh this thought experiment we're for sure going to be putting spencer knight ahead of bobrovsky in more goalies board for next year right like if the pan like for i know that we always say like he has the contract but like the fact that bobrovsky was benched for these last couple games spencer knight has been very good in the small look he's gotten we've got to assume he's going to be the starter for next year right and obviously it's like impossible to predict but that's that's where i'm sitting right now yeah you have to assume the guy who uh, was put in net after both the two other goalies bobrovsky and Driedger, had their shots to get and hold the crease knight came in uh, held it after one game, which really neither of the other two, I guess game one was pretty strong for Bobrovsky, but after that, nobody was really awesome in any of their stuff. Ah, like, Driedger looked good in spurts. Anyway, overall, Driedger and Bobrovsky were both bad and about equally so. They actually put up two of the worst performances amongst all goalies in the first round, and Spencer Knight was very good. So, like you said, I can't see why Florida would bring back Chris Driedger with Knight ready and Bobrovsky under contract forever. Um, 
Spencer Knight on an ELC for two more years really softens the blow of that Bobrovsky contract, which I don't think Florida's going to move on from anytime soon unless they can find a team to dump it on. I went and used Cap Friendly's buyout calculator to be like, well, what if? And found that Bobrovsky's cap hit would still be between 6 and $7 million for each of the next four seasons if Florida bought Bobrovsky out now. So basically, Florida, if they bought out Bobrovsky, would only be saving 3 to $4 million of cap space, which doesn't seem worth it, considering you'd still be paying so much to this goalie who's not playing for you. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think the next flashpoint in Florida is going to be two years from now, when Knight's ELC is up, what happens then? What are they going to do at that point? Uh, Bob, so far... I agree, Elon. Looks like he's going to be a very expensive backup in his two years in Florida, 900 and 906 save percentage. It's hard to imagine Bobrovsky rises above a tandem goalie at this point, and I think there's a pretty decent chance he's lower than a 1B, that he's an actual number two if Spencer Knight really takes the job by the horns. Yeah, I think that's what we're looking at. And hey, I mean, it's not a bad situation for the team in terms of like having Bobrovsky as your backup and Spencer Knight as your starter. It's kind of like what Philly is trying to do, but they're doing it in a smarter way because they're not spending so much money on Brian Elliott as their backup. You know, they have Carter Hart as the young superstar or supposed to be upcoming superstar. Didn't work out that well this year. And then, you know, a really good veteran as the backup. So for the next two years, like you say, it's not that bad because they're not spending a lot of money on Spencer Knight. So I think that this might be the season, like next year, unless we pump him up too much. Spencer Knight might be one of those really good goalies where you can wait on in your drafts pretty far, because obviously some people will still be assuming Bobrovsky will get some time and Spencer Knight isn't such a known commodity. I'll bet you he'll fall out of like the top 10, at least, of goalies, and he might end up being a really good steal in drafts. Can I ask, like, also, because team quality weighs into this, too, how how high do you think people are going to be on Florida next year? Cause I, I'm high on them. I'm, I'm high I'm, on them. Okay, yeah, but what, what's your gauge on, like, the general mood on Florida? If, 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 they're due to repeat this next year because it's important to have a read on the other managers in your league right and it's just hitting me i don't know what anyone else really thinks of florida i know what i think of florida but i don't know what the general perception is whether they caught lightning in a bottle no pun intended this season and next season are going to take a step back or if they're just going to keep marching on it's a weird question to ask you since you're with me but but do you have a sense of this my my guess is that everybody believes but is that naive of me no i mean Anyone who's thinking hard about it should be expecting Florida to be really good, right? Because they were good this year. This whole playoff run, they were without their best defenseman by a mile in Aaron Ekblad. He'll be back next year. You've got Tippett, who's now had this like good year of experience. This guy Lundell is going to be coming in. They, like They've got good players coming in. Plus, they're going to have Spencer Knight, who seems like a better option than Bobrovsky, now likely to be their starter. So I think this could be a very good year. And yeah, I'm really excited. And I really hope that most people don't agree with us uh, that I'm drafting with, because I think Spencer Knight might be a really good goalie to draft like i said outside of the top 10 so anyways, uh speaking of those good young goalies here's one just, that's actually oh go ahead <laughs> yeah no i'm i just don't think you're gonna get that opportunity that's why i was asking because you're like oh I, if i can grab spencer knight later in my draft i think he's gonna be like an exciting like a a hip and fresh pick for a lot uh-huh. of you know like there's always like these buzzy players that go into next year's drafts i think spencer knight is going to be hard to catch while no one else is looking Yes, but like also no, because like I know you're like big on being hip. Like that's like very important to you as a guy who listens <laughs> no, it's to not. indie music <laughs> and like wanting to like you know eat at all the coolest places as we oh discussed on the last page like, of <laughs> <laughs> But like um, as eat far- at all the coolest places. What was the disc- I never even said that. I don't know. I think you said something like all the fast food burgers are the same to you, <laughs> which you said is snobbery. 
And I still argue, sorry, I'd like to, to take this too far away, but to have no preference is the opposite of snobbery, is it not? Anyway, all I'm saying is I still think there's a lot of goalies that are going to go ahead. Like, you know, I could think of 10 probably pretty easily in like, I don't know, like, you know, Colorado's uh, Grubauer, like probably even, uh, you know, the Islanders, like who we're just about to get to, like Vasilevsky, of course, like Tuka Rask, probably. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a lot of goalies who would go before, but maybe not. It'll be fun when we get to Schmorgoliesburg. I guess that's when we're going to dig into it. But I want to bring up another goalie who then I'm going to ask you actually to compare to Spencer Knight. So we'll get back to talking about Knight in a second. But yeah, another young goalie who had a fantastic first round taking over from the original starter was Ilya Sorokin, who put up three quality starts in his three wins over Pittsburgh to win that series. Uh, he couldn't stop Pasternak in game one versus Boston yesterday of the second round, but still, uh, you know, Sorokin was decent enough. He stopped four of 39 in the 5 2 loss. So he got peppered with shots and we'll see if Varlamov gets game two regardless uh looking to next year it's obviously telling that Trotz put in Sorokin to play the majority of the series versus the Penguins and it worked out really well how would you be ranking Spencer Knight versus Ilya Sorokin in Schmorgoisborg for next year if you had to do it right now which is obviously a tough task because we've got still more games from Sorokin coming and we're going to learn more and also there's a whole offseason coming I feel like both Sorokin and Spencer Knight have these crazy strong pedigrees like everyone's been saying that these goalies are going to be great Arlamov seems like stronger competition for starts, but Bobrovsky does have that contract. And he's also obviously not a nobody. Like, there's a reason why he has that contract. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting pairing to try to decide who you like more for fantasy next year. The reason that Bobrovsky has that contract is because he was once good and Florida hired the wrong guy to sign free agents and write the checks. But you're asking me about Sorokin and Varlamov and how Sorokin compares to Spencer Knight and saying it might be hard to project Sorokin for next year, given that there's still more games to play. And here's my hot take is that no matter what Sorokin does the rest of this postseason, whatever Varlamov does the rest of this postseason, I don't think... Uh, it's going to change what I already assume to be true about the Islanders' crease next season, which is that it's a timeshare. Uh, if you look back through this season, Varlamov outplayed Sorokin through the season, but was in uh, Bobrovsky and Driedger territory with his play in the postseason. And Sorokin himself kind of worked out to being an average NHL goalie, uh, given the, the body of work that he faced, which is not at all a bad thing, of course, for a rookie getting his first games in the league. So uh, way to go, Ilya Sorokin, for a steady... Uh, consistent rookie campaign. Well, maybe consistent's the wrong word because there were some ups and downs, but he was solid enough. If I'm comparing Sorokin versus Spencer Knight next year, I think of two goalies, young goalies, uh, but who are both on strong defensive teams with solid cores who can continue contending. I still think it's it's very likely that the Islanders are going to go timeshare next year again, no matter what else happens in this postseason. And even though I suppose you might say Florida's in the same spot right now, I would bet Ilya Sorokin has a harder time getting more than 41 games in than Spencer Knight might. So for that reason, seeing teams of equal quality and equal defensive uh, capabilities too, I'm going to go Spencer Knight first just because I think he's going to play more games. How about you? I think that's a really good reasoning. Like it's working for the Islanders to go 50-50. That's what they did even before Sorokin was there when they had Thomas Grice and Varlamov and even before that, right? When it was Grice and Leonard for a season. Like they've yeah. been going 50-50 ever since Tavares left. So I guess you might as well stick with what works and so I guess it's a good reason. Maybe like Spencer Knight has a lower floor 
but not really, right? And obviously, we still have to wait and see if Florida, what the Florida does with Chris Drieger. But yeah, I assume that you're correct, and I would also go night ahead as of now. Uh, let's take a quick break, actually, and then we've got more to talk about with the Islanders and the rest of the teams that showed us some things in round one. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Like any good team, Hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. And yeah, Brian, we were talking about the New York Islanders. And of course, we have to go to the biggest offensive star for the team in the first round, who was Anthony Beauvillier, who put up an amazing seven points in six games versus Jari and the Penguins. Also scored a power play goal versus the Bruins in game one of round two yesterday. Beauvillier had a career high 49 point pace this past season, uh, only played 47 games. Uh, but he's gone nuts in these playoffs. He's been playing with Nelson and Bailey and on a power play with Barzal, Eberly, Pajot, who's also been really good, by the way. Pajot was always so great in the playoffs. What's with this guy? Seven points in six games versus Pittsburgh? Anyway, uh, I was talking about Beauvillier and the power play he's been on, which is the top power play with those guys, also Dobson. Uh, Beauvillier uh, is still only 23 years old. I feel like we've been talking about him on the podcast for a while. Like, ever since we started talking about Barzal, we've also been talking about Beauvillier. And for a while, it was like, oh, I guess, like, Beauvillier is not going to work out the way Barzal has. But I don't know. At this point, going into next year... Do you still see Beauvillier as like the likely 50-ish point pace guy that we've seen for the past couple of seasons? Or are these playoffs potentially a hint of things to come? That this breakout is starting, it's brewing, and we're going to see maybe closer to a 60 or maybe even plus point guy next year. Wow, Elon, this sounds so familiar because in all the ups and downs that Beauvillier has had in his career so far, you know, from being a guy with a high pedigree and then going on little runs on the top line, but he's mostly been down. Right. But last year's playoffs, I'm pretty sure we were asking the exact same question when Beauvillier scored 14 points in 22 playoff games that had us eyeing him for a step forward this year, which uh, he did not really end up taking on the score sheet, landing in that 45, 50 point range for the second consecutive season. But Beauvillier did show some modest improvement under the hood, quietly upping his five on five shot and shot attempt rates, though that was actually mostly offset by losing 30 seconds of ice time per night. So a small drop in ice time and a small rise in his shot rates for Beauvillier this past season. I think, you know, you're asking me if he could be a 60 point or 60 plus point guy. Uh, On Trotzer's New York Islanders, the only person to pace above 60 points in any of the last three seasons has been Matt Barzal. 
and everyone behind him is in the 50, 55 point range tops. So I, I don't think that's something I expect to change next year. And just the margins are so narrow on Long Island for anybody to really up their game and up their offense. They play this one style of hockey. They play it well. They're not about to change it. So if you're asking me whether Beauvillier is going to get better next year, even if my answer is yes, that still might only mean he puts up another like three to five points over the course of 82 games, because that's just the way it goes for the Islanders. So yeah, I am into the idea that Beauvillier can, you know, take another step forward, maybe a small one, but I'm not into the idea that he's going to blow up and become this really big scorer, because aside from Matt Barzal on the Islanders, there's not room for anyone to do that. All right, that's fair. I mean, there is room in these playoffs, but obviously that's been like six games. So fair enough for seven games now. Uh, yeah, I guess he's a guy that obviously is jumping on our radars and you're saying not to buy into it for next year just yet, or even no matter what happens in the playoffs, because clearly the Islanders maybe also have a different system that they play in the regular season versus the playoffs. Uh, speaking of Barzal, only three assists in seven games now. Uh, he had a 67-point pace this past season. Obviously, we're not going to read too much into a superstar, like not getting a lot of points, especially since their team won. It obviously worked for them. But at the same time, Definitely not uh, a lot of hope for Barzal to, like, have his big breakout next year also. If anything, I'd be more expecting, like, the Islanders to get more players to get points, and probably this 65 to 70-point Barzal is the one we're going to continue to see moving forward, right? Probably, yeah, but I don't want to take anything away just because uh, Barzal hasn't had a fantastic uh, playoffs. He had a pretty strong season, right? Like, he had a 67... 67-point pace, which was only five points fewer than the season prior. And that's – are you more impressed if I tell you he lost a minute of ice time each night at five-on-five and only lost five points on his total pace and still finished near 70 points? Well, but why did he lose those minutes? Like, all I want to know is how many minutes he's going to get next year. I (laughs) guess I'm just thinking in terms of his ADP, I think he probably disappointed people who were hoping that he'd, like, improve on 2019-20 and not regress. And obviously the ice time going down isn't amazing, right? Like, maybe now with the Islanders getting some more reinforcements in, I don't know, like, Wallstrom and who was that other random guy who started getting points for a couple games and was going on NA all the time? I'll remember it. Oh, Uh, Kiefer Bellows. Yeah, Bellows. Like, I don't know. It it seems like just, the Islanders are such, like, a top nine team. They give the same minutes to all three lines like is there even a top line like you know there's like Everly yeah. and Nelson and Bailey and all these people so it just seems like Barzal's such okay. a, he's starting to become like a yawn kind of guy yeah he'll get you you're like maybe <laughs> up to 70 points but I used to think of him as like a guy with upside for like 90 and I just feel like it's hard to imagine that happening unless yeah. maybe if he gets a different winger like you know if they sign Taylor Hall which we always say every offseason uh, but you know play with no, Andres I, Lee. Yeah. I think what Barzal misses most also keep in mind yeah he also lost Andres Lee for a good chunk of the season and they were clicking. So that's another reason to think that the season wasn't so bad. I guess I, I'm backing Barzell. Look, I know 67 points isn't awesome for fantasy purposes, but he also, uh, like, what What would... I, I just want to... I don't know why I feel the need to say that Matt Barzell is a really freaking good hockey player. And I, we're going to talk about him not being great at fantasy, but would you believe... Well, you're going to, because I'm going to tell you this. This is objective. Matt Barzell <laughs> finished 10th in the league in five-on-five points this yeah, season. So- 
That's awesome. So I guess it just means the power play, what he wasn't, yeah. you know, feasting on there. Exactly. So you, one thing you just mentioned is, wouldn't it be great if uh, the Isles had a winger for him to play with a five on five? What Barzal really misses uh, from being somebody having 80 or 90 point upside is having John Tavares with him on that power play. We talked about how successful he was that season and how big a part of that success John Tavares was on the power play. Uh, but in the three years since that Tavares has departed Long Island, Barzell's power play numbers have just been in the tank. They were at tw- He pays for only 12 power play points this year, 15 the year prior, 18 the year before that. And I'm not saying like, oh, look, it's going down, down, down. It's going to be like 10 power play points next year. Uh, just overall, he's averaging 15 power play points a year over the last three seasons. And that is... Uh, the epitome of mediocre in power play production for somebody who's playing on the top unit, or like you said, they might split time, but he still sees greater than a 50% share of the aisle power play time. And one, like I'm digging in and seeing, okay, why is Barzell so unsuccessful on the power play? Would you believe that he's shot like his shooting percentage has been worse than or equal to his five on five shooting percentage in each of the last three seasons. And his power play on ice shooting percentage has barely been better than his five on five number. So basically Barzell's power play scoring rates, they're, they're higher than five on five, but not by a whole lot. And those higher percentages that we should be seeing in his own shooting and his teammate shooting uh, are not, they're not there. And I don't know if this is by design or if this can be fixed. It's one reason to definitely fade, like from the fantasy angle, uh, fade Barzal in leagues where power play points are in premiums because he's not reliable for them. Um, but I'm not changing my overall projection. I guess you're basically saying, look, I'm done thinking of him as an 80, 90 point guy. I'm with you there, but he's still a really nice 70 point player. And there is upside for more if they do add another piece or they do get that top power play going. Uh, but I definitely understand why he's not like a blue chip fantasy asset at this point. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you talk about like they lost John Tavares on the power play. They've also never had like a good quarterback, right? Like this, we're hoping Noah Dobson maybe grows into one. Uh, maybe they can take a Keith Yandel. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. Or like, you know, Tyson Berry's a free agent. I don't know if that's the kind of player that Trotz would be interested in, but it would be interesting to see what they would do if they got one of these like power play specialists to run the unit as a defenseman. This is a really, you know, I feel like we always talk about New Jersey and we talk about Marek Zidliski, like thinking, okay, who's the last successful power play quarterback you can remember? I feel like in when New you're, you're, saying, you're saying we, it's definitely you. I definitely, you're like, <laughs> you know how we're always talking about how Marek Zidliski <laughs> was the last? <laughs> I haven't thought that in a while. Okay. Okay, so, but can you think of the last, I have a name in mind, can you think of the last really successful power play quarterback in Long Island? Uh, Viznovsky. Oh, that's a good one. That wasn't the name I had in mind. Uh, Nick Letty? <laughs> wasn't Nick Letty good for a year? Uh, yeah, but he doesn't count because he hasn't been reliable <laughs> for so many, like he's not been. I'm talking a guy you could really count and depend on. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is before my time. Uh, no, there's definitely a way to get an answer on this. But Mark Streit is the guy oh, that yeah. I was thinking of who had a, a few solid seasons of power play production in Long Island before moving on to Philly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I would love I And that was back in 2011, 2012 was his last season with the Islanders. And he was still like mostly meh. So it's been basically a decade, unless there's somebody I'm forgetting who, uh, since, since the Islanders have had a legit power play quarterback. Yeah, I'm seeing that uh, actually Lubavor Viznovsky had 
31 power play points in 2010-11, but that was with the Anaheim Ducks. And then he oh. went to the Islanders a couple seasons after, and his highest there was 10 power play points. So yeah, it's been a while since there's been a defenseman there that's feasted like uh, Tyson Barry did over on Edmonton this year. All right, let's move on to the team that the Islanders beat in round one, much to your chagrin, Brian, because you were uh, big in on the Penguins. Or, or correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I thought that you were into the Penguins in our group chats. Uh, but uh, if we go back to the goalie talk, Tristan Jari is probably the reason or a big reason why the Penguins lost, right? He's lo- he's almost for sure going to fall in drafts after his dreadful playoff performance. He had an 888 save percentage in six games. Uh, from everything I've read and that you've told me, <laughs> the Penguins outplayed the Islanders according to most metrics, but obviously not in one key metric, which is goaltending the Islanders definitely beat the Penguins in the net and that might have made the difference also worth noting that Jari was kind of shaky at the end of the regular season he led in three plus goals in four of his last six games to end the campaign so it was already like a concern going into the playoffs and then that continued into this week playoff run Brian after saying all that about Tristan Jari I'm kind of like eyeing him now in drafts for next year. I feel like he's the perfect goalie to target late in drafts because maybe, you know, after the slow end of the season and a weak uh, playoffs, everyone might be thinking, ah, Jari, he's no good. But overall, he still had a decent enough season with the Penguins. He's still there. Number one, Penguins are still a good team. I mean, we'll see if the Penguins are still a good team. There's always these like rumors every offseason that, okay, is this the last year before they finally break up their core of Crosby and Malkin and Latang? So obviously, we'll see what happens. But I don't know, how worried are you about Tristan Jari right now if you're like drafting for next season after this terrible playoffs? I'm actually really curious to hear what short shifts Lewis has to say about where he's going to, because remember he drafted Jari in the tier one auction draft at a price that he realized he wasn't comfortable with as the draft wore on and then went on the, the Tristan Jari roller coaster for a while and I wonder like what how that's affected his perception of Jari next year. Uh, I know that like that roller coaster was pretty intense with Tristan Jari this season. There were some high highs and some low lows, very inconsistent performances from Jari. And yeah, Elon, if we're being honest, I also think he's he's the reason Pittsburgh lost that series. Give them average goaltending and the Penguins move on to round two. I know that the Islanders are great in the playoffs. I've been banging that drum myself over the last couple of years. Don't underrate Barry Trotz and what he can do to shut any team down and build around his goalie and build his team to capitalize on the tiniest mistakes and win by the thinnest margins. That's what Barry Trotz does. And that's why he's been so successful with the New York Islanders. It's, it's, it's a match made in heaven between coach and team. But even with that, even acknowledging that about the Islanders, I think, again, average, just average goaltending for the Penguins would have beaten the Islanders because Pittsburgh, yeah, they were actually really good. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from the Islanders, by the way. Still a feather in their cap that they came away with a win. Congratulations. And like, maybe they'll go deep for sure. Uh, It speaks to the Islanders style that even though they basically had a 40% shot attempt share at five on five, that means of all the shot attempts taken through the series at five on five, the Islanders had 40% of them, but they had a 46% share of the expected goals and a 60% share of the actual goals. And that is Barry Trotz, New York Islanders hockey right there, baby. But back to Tristan Jari, who was, by the way, outplayed by Casey DeSmith in the regular season. He had this, uh, what's the opposite of meteoric? Catastrophic. I guess I'm, I'm, I keep trying to find new ways to say highs and lows. Here's a way to illustrate just how crazy inconsistent Jari's season was. He had a 63% quality start percentage, but just a 909 
save percentage. So, uh, you know, a guy with a, a strong quality start percentage, you think, okay, so he's really good a lot of the time, like over six out of every 10 starts, he, he has a quality start. Uh, he'd have to be really bad the rest of the time to have a bad save percentage. And that's what happened with Tristan Jari in his 909. Only four goalies in the NHL this season had a higher quality start percentage while getting regular starts than Jari. And their save percentages were 916, 922, 928, and 929. Tristan Jari was the only goalie with a 60% or higher quality start percentage to finish with a save percentage lower than 910. Which means that Tristan Jari was good when he was good, but he was real bad when he was bad. And while you might be thinking that he's a tasty option next season uh, when you're drafting your fantasy team, I might take the other approach and say, you know what? Pittsburgh is at the end of a window that is closing. I think they're going to take another run with Malkin and Crosby. What other choice do they have if they want a cup in the next uh, decade, at least? They can't afford to run with a goalie. It's almost like with the Leafs and Freddie Anderson, right? They can afford to run with a goalie who's going to burn a year of key contention. And I don't know how you rebuild that relationship with Tristan Jari or with what happened in the playoffs. So I think the door is actually wide open for Casey to Smith. And that makes me nervous about drafting Tristan Jari to start next season. So maybe he'd be great. Any goalie would be great late enough. But man, I don't think I'd want to place too big a bet on Tristan Jari. Like yeah. he, he'd, he'd be playing for a really good team. And we've seen his quality start percentage is, is, is fantastic. That's what you want as a fantasy manager. But I just don't know that Pittsburgh wants him to be their number one goalie after what he did to their playoff chances this year. Yeah, it'll be tough to swallow this and remember it. He might be the wild thing Mitch Williams, uh, who maybe has that one bad playoffs and then he gets forgotten. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking, I think I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, I'm just kind of thinking like, uh, late enough in a draft, you could grab someone like him and who knows, he, he might turn out to be okay for you. Uh, over to the skaters. I assume we're not going to read into the weak performances from the Crosby Gensel line, only no. two points in, uh, for each of them in the six games. This is against the Islanders. It's tough. Uh, but then on the other side, I guess one positive out of Pittsburgh, Jeff Carter, five points in six games, playing in the bottom six. Uh, assuming there aren't big offseason changes uh, for the Penguins, and like I said, there's a lot of rumors that there might be, maybe Carter has leapfrogged the Zuckers and Kapitans of the world for pens to target in drafts after, like, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, maybe Rust. Like, he also had that strong run to end the regular season after being traded from L.A., and I think we're starting to see a pattern where we can't trust what people did in L.A., because L.A., people that are not named Kopitar don't get that many points. I guess Dustin Brown, like, we saw Toffoli explode. We saw Alec Martinez do a lot better than he used to when he was in L.A., so maybe Jeff Carter's the same. Maybe he's going to be a really good sleeper in drafts next year. Yeah, we've seen, like you mentioned, Toffoli and Martinez and now Jeff Carter. I think anybody having left LA over the last five or 10 years had a pretty good chance of seeing their offense go up just the way the team has played. Even in their heyday, when they were really successful, it was hard to score goals as a Los Angeles King. Because they had Anze Kopitar as being the one guy who could really put up points. Dustin Brown. You don't need, to, need me to summarize the last decade of LA Kings hockey, uh, unless you'd like a, a sleep aid. But let's talk about Jeff Carter in Pittsburgh. You're talking about this great postseason run Carter went on, but Jeff Carter was on fire since coming to Pittsburgh. He had eight goals in 40 games with the Kings. 
He put up nine goals in 14 games with Pittsburgh before the playoffs. Uh, Carter's been shooting 25% since he got to Pittsburgh, which has been a fun run. Uh, Nothing I'm really thinking too hard about come draft time next season, but I guess uh, that makes him somebody who you might stream in more often, like maybe about as as interested as you would have been. Remember at the start of the season when he's taking all those shots and picking up some points? It's like, oh, is this the return of Jeff Carter? It wasn't, and I don't I expect sort of the same thing to happen next season when shooting percentage settles down and he's probably in a, in a mid-six role at best. Uh, fun run, but I'm not going to read too much into it. Okay, well, yeah, well, just recently, uh, I think it was on our last episode, you were lauding Kasperi Kapanen and the really strong 60-point pace that he put up this year. I assume this means that you'd still take Kapanen over Jeff Carter in a draft for next year? Yeah, actually, if you're looking for somebody on Pittsburgh, like you're talking about, maybe you could get sneaky and draft Jari or Jeff Carter. I think Kasperi Kavanagh might be the nice sneaky guy that you could grab on Pittsburgh. 62 point pace this season, but did it quietly, uh, like when he wasn't injured and also had a slow start. So first impressions in Pittsburgh weren't great. And I think that's still stuck on him. So I, I think you might be able to get him at good value next season. Just 30 points in 40 games also doesn't leap off the page for anybody looking just through the straight up numbers. But I really liked what I saw from Kasperi Kapanen as he found his footing with Pittsburgh in his first season there. And honestly, I expect a successful second one, especially with uh, touch wood. Um, no, I was going to say with a healthy Malkin, but I can't even say it with a straight face. I, I expect, Mal- expect him to play half the season with Malkin and then half the season with, I don't know, Jeff Carter or Jared McCann. I actually might prefer McCann to Carter too. Yeah, so I guess this is another team, kind of like we were just talking about how Florida has a bunch of guys who are, I guess, a lot more exciting than these Pittsburgh options, but it's like it's really hard to pick the next best forward option on the team after like the obvious superstars uh okay so speaking of superstars i guess we can go over to the west uh i'm super excited for this colorado versus vegas matchup which has already started actually it's two nothing for colorado in the first i think that colorado's probably gonna win this series brian any quick predictions here colorado's just too good this mckinnon landeskog rantanen line like they did their best to help their playoff pool drafters. Like, you know, Colorado only played four games. Maybe you went into your playoff pools thinking, especially like KKPP, the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, where we were only drafting for the first round. You know, maybe I shouldn't take a Colorado guy because they're clearly going to beat the Blues quickly. Sorry, Ryan O'Reilly. But still, McKinnon had nine points in the four games. Landeskog had eight and Ranson had, had seven. So you still got a good bang for your buck, even in those few games. To be honest, I don't really have that much to say about the Avs. Like, everything is going as you'd expect, in- including Kadri getting himself suspended again, which is definitely a facepalm. Uh, maybe, you know, we'll have more to say about Colorado. We'll have another round to go. But, Brian, before we switch over to Vegas, any Avs thoughts? Do you agree with me that they're probably going to win this round? I feel like it's, I don't know. That's where I'm leaning. Yeah, I think probably is fair, especially because Vegas is tired and Colorado's had time to rest. Uh, I think these are what I really like about this round, to be honest, is that you've got Tampa, Carolina and Vegas, Colorado, which honestly, I'd be satisfied as cup finals. Those are two series that I'd be okay to be like, yeah, this is the finals for the Stanley Cup. Also, Boston Islanders isn't so far off. So uh, it's a really fun round. Like, I think more fun than the second round usually is. So I'm really excited to see what happens in this series. I'll just, I guess, mention Philip Grubauer with a 936 save percentage uh, in that sweep against St. Louis. He did his job. Holy cow. Stopping 103 of 110 shots against, only seven goals against in those four games. So uh, hats off to Philip Grubauer, who, like, I, 
I guess I, I need to go out of my way to take my hat off to Philip Grubauer with all the, uh, not shade, maybe doubt, I guess is the word, or just like, not even doubt. I just remember he had those, those poor five on five numbers, but really great, uh, penalty kill save percentage numbers that really helped keep him with an overall respectful save percentage but he's definitely proved himself since i first brought that up as a concern and i'm actually going to bury it right now and i'm not going to bring it up ever again philip grubauer way to go yeah, he's awesome. Uh, I remember going into the season, it was like potentially going to be a tandem with Pavel Francouz, and then Francouz just out for the whole year, and Grubauer's really stepped up. And like, I think the Avalanche really need to like protect this guy. Like, I don't know, like in you know in between games, just like give him an escort to and from wherever he walks. Like, this guy cannot get injured because that's the only thing I think that could just really hamper this team. Because if they have like to rely on Devin Dubnik or Jonas Johansson or whoever else is there, like it's not going to work. Uh, which is exactly what happened last playoffs, right? Uh, okay. So over in Vegas, their leading scorer after round one, uh, you might be surprised, Chandler Stevenson. <laughs> Six assists in seven games was enough. This was actually a kind of a low-scoring series for Vegas. It was a seven-game series, but of course there was two shutouts from Cam Talbot and the Minnesota Wild, but Vegas still was able to sneak through their second most points. Uh, ready for a superstar here? Matisse Yanmark, after his hat-trick in game seven, got him to be the second highest scorer on the team in round one. Brian Yanmark is an unrestricted free agent after this season, so I think this 28-year-old is on track to earn himself a nice little raise over the $2.25 million he earned this season, right? Uh, I'd imagine a lot of teams will be interested in this guy who's maybe turning into someone who might be a playoff. I mean, it was just one hat trick, but he also had a good run after he got traded at the deadline. I just feel like his stock is up right now. For sure. He's looked good in Vegas. He's gotten an opportunity. And in stints with Dallas and Chicago in the past, he was a third round pick back in 2013. Yenmark has usually found himself on the third line and at best second power play unit if it all on any power play unit. But I, I do think, I mean, clearly he's showing there may be some untapped potential if Yanmark can ever land in a top six. And he did see a career high 17 minutes a night this year and steady power play two time for only the second time in his career. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I'm like, I don't, we're not, I'm not going to predict a contract here. Actually, Evolving Wild, uh, our fantastic contract predictor. So if you want to see what Yanmark is in line for, I actually don't know if they've released their uh, their predictions for this offseason yet, but definitely check out Evolving Wild. I feel like they shouldn't, right? I feel like the playoffs are going to play a role anyways. Like if Yanmark yeah. continues to get sh- uh, hat tricks, that will probably boost his value. Uh, yeah, I guess but so. I don't want to tell them how to run their business. Evolving Wild, <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> it's a really great question, actually. So evolving-hockey.com is where you can keep an eye out for it. Same Twitter handle or Evolving Wild on Twitter. You know, there's, there is a lot of competition for bottom six spots on a roster. So I think uh, Yanmark is, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say, like, oh, he's going to get a raise. I honestly just hope he gets a roster spot where he's in a middle six position and has a chance to be a top six guy. You'd have to think it's uh, he's going to get less than whatever Duclair gets, right? You think Yanmark is going to get less than Duclair? No, I would yeah. expect, well, I think it's the opposite. I think Duclair is probably going to sign for, like, two mil, and I could see Yanmark signing for more, like, three mil. Plus, I could see Yanmark getting, like, a two- or three-year contract, while Duclair will probably only get another one-year tryout. Because why is someone going to put a lot of faith in someone who was playing on the fourth line in the playoffs? I mean, Yanmark has been a 30-ish point player for the majority of his career. Tops 35 points. Um, In fantasy, he's not a great guy to roster. Like, his shot rates aren't great, but teams obviously aren't, aren't adding him for that. 
I don't know, Elon. I'm not sure. This isn't anything I want to bet on. I, I'm, I'm licking my wounds from all the bets you've beaten me in uh, over the course of this season still. But uh, I guess I guess we'll see. Yanmark seems like he's an NHLer for sure. So we'll see where he lands next year and if he has an opportunity to tap into some potential that he hasn't quite been able to show yet. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to see for Vegas right, that they're getting production from guys like Stevenson. Yeah. We already, by the way, we were saying we were excited to see what Stevenson can do in these playoffs. So once again, just like proving that he might be the next best Vegas forward to draft after Stone and Pacioretty, maybe even higher than Jonathan Marchessault. I don't know. Like obviously Marchessault is better for shots, but in terms of like straight up points, Marchessault did nothing in the first round, right? He only had one points in seven games versus Minnesota. Also Shea Theodore didn't do a great job for people who drafted him in their playoff pools only two points in the seven games uh but if you tell me that we can just disregard it because cam talbot was great and things were weird in vegas and patch was injured i'm good with that like what do you think i, I feel like it's kind of like the pittsburgh guys like probably i don't want to read too much into marsh so not yeah. doing anything so far yeah you've got so yes bottom line yes but you've, you've got half the reason right you're like tell me to disregard it because it's a small sample side and because of cam talbot uh Here's where I do my usual thing where uh, I say, hey, it wasn't all the goldie. Like Talbot, guess how Talbot played, Elon, relative to expect his expected Fenwick save percentage. Okay. I think I know where this is going. Like, Just guess. Well, I just want to say before I guess, <laughs> okay. uh, he had like two shutouts. So yeah. I'm assuming he was above the expected save percentage in those games. And I know there were also, like, in the last game, he led in like five goals, yeah. which is probably going to skew the numbers and almost make it something you can throw out because it was like one bad game. So I feel like if you take out the shutouts and you take out that last game, I'd imagine <laughs> it would be average, but it's hard to argue with shutouts. If you take out the shutouts and you take out that last game, you're left with four games to base your sample. I mean, not that seven games is a great sample. <laughs> uh, overall, Talbot essentially played a exactly at his expected number which is good like good on Cam Talbot that's not something Devin Dubnik has been able to do or even Kapokokkanen has been able to do so uh way to go Cam Talbot but I think we just need to credit the whole team like I think uh Minnesota is a team to look out for they're basically doing I wouldn't say exactly what the Islanders are doing uh, but if you look at their team and their personnel and their coach and the style they play like they are a shut down team and they're just going to try and play low, low event hockey, uh, keep things real quiet, take advantage of your mistakes. And I think this is the team they're invested in being for as long as they're attached to those Parisian suitor contracts. So I would say to keep an eye on them for next year and definitely keep an eye on who their goalie is. Cam Talbot has definitely, uh, I think entrenched himself as a pretty decent fantasy uh, value guy. I- I'm wondering, mm-hmm. Elon, if you would prefer like where you'd rank Talbot amongst uh like spencer knight and Ilya sorokin would you have him in the same tier or just below yeah it's tough because kapokokkanen's there and i think eventually there were even times this season where it looked like maybe kokkanen could take over top kokkanen had those really good runs so i could see that more like uh islander situation like what you said about sorokin like no matter how good he does maybe he's capped by how many games play we can expect so i still take spencer knight i think ahead even though maybe he has the most risk it's gonna be tough i don't i'm not looking forward well i mean i am but i'm also not looking forward to our smart goalies board episode because i feel like it's just gonna be a great opportunity for us to just put everyone in the same tier because we have no idea how it's gonna go i mean if they're all in the same tier because they play for teams that play reasonably good defense and they look like steady enough goalies who can handle their workload man that'll and even if we get them all in the wrong order that 
that would be a very happy Schmore Goldies board for me. Like, I just want a season where Goldies are normal. I, stop blowing me yeah, up all the time. Gonna yeah, it's that's never going to happen. happen. <laughs> well, okay. So that is Vegas. And we'll see what happens if Marsha So and like Shea Theodore can wake up in round two. Yeah, or did you want something of, else about those guys? Well, yeah, speaking of Vegas, uh, Robin Lehner getting the game one start. I think this is just to rest Flurry, right? Like, I'm not reading too deeply into this. But uh, it'd be fun. Flurry, by the way, uh, fantastic. Uh, over 9.30 save percentage. Like, we're talking about Talbot in the wild. Marc-Andre Flurry was on his head for a lot of that series. I think he's one of the reasons that Vegas was able to end up winning it in seven because he was dueling with the wild and Cam Talbot. And this year versus Colorado, Marc-Andre Fleury has a 9.32 save percentage and went four and three. Meanwhile, Robin Lehner uh, played one game against the Avs and it was a 9.05, but I guess old man Fleury might need a rest. This is a good time for him to take it. I would love to see a gem from Robin Lehner just for fun. Like, you well, know how much I like Robin Lehner. Well, the game's already started and he's letting oh. two goals oh, on... No. No. 14 shots oh so, that makes uh, me so sad well we haven't seen the goals uh you know maybe they were tough the one by ranton one by Landeskog, both assisted by kale mccarr so i'm assuming these were sweet setups <laughs> and sweet goals uh so we'll check the highlights after but i think in the end uh you don't rest your hot goalie against yeah. like <laughs> when you rest like, you're against colorado you need to win every game like uh anyways yeah it's it's a pretty like i i, I also choice. yeah i love that laner started not just because of laner because it's fun Right, it throws a, throws yeah. a little bit of chaos and a, a wrench into what we would always expect from a team where it's like, okay, you find your starter, you start them all the way through, unless it's it's been up in the air the whole time. Like, and uh, I mean, when yeah, I mean, when's like when's the last time a I'm sure this stat was out there, but Florida playing three goalies in their series was pretty wild in a seven game series in the playoffs when you've had all season to try and work this out. But yeah, I guess uh, Laner is in only so long as Flurry is not a hundred percent. I suppose. Yeah. So hopefully for the Knights, uh, Flurry is okay. Yeah, I think that when Florida played Spencer Knight, I saw some tweets about like, you know, this has happened before. Some teams playing three goalies in a round. But I'd be curious to know if this is the first time a team's played three goalies in a round where there were no injuries, right? It right, was just... like three different goalies started yeah, games. three different goalies started, yeah. and all the goalies were available for all the games. It's just they just decided to go with the third one. It was definitely a weird occurrence. And yeah, we'll see if uh, the Golden Knights end up regretting not just playing Flurry today, though. Colorado's a tough opponent. I think both goalies would have a lot of trouble against this stacked Avs team. All right, so we talked about Tampa earlier. We haven't yet brought up their round two opponent in the Carolina Hurricanes. So uh, let's talk about them. Uh, Saros and the Predators kept things close versus Carolina. Uh, maybe even closer than a lot of people expected. But in the end, the Hurricanes uh, rightfully advanced. Like, they are the team that was the favorite for a reason. And now we get this very intriguing round two matchup of Tampa versus Carolina, where Tampa just won the first game of the series today, 2-1. to one. Uh, Alex Njelkovic got all six games for the Canes versus Nashville. And he's been fantastic. 922 save percentage in those six games. Obviously, it's going to be super interesting to see what the Canes do this offseason. They have Morazic and Reimer, both UFA at this point. It's like, if either of them want a lot of money, I'd imagine they just let them walk, right? Maybe it'll be nice if they could get one of them for cheap to back up Nedeljkovic. But wow, like, Ned, I guess we have to add him to the conversation now with Knight and Sorokin. And maybe Nedeljkovic is the one who should be at the top, just because Caroline is so awesome. He's been great. And there's no backup i mean i guess we'll see like I, it's weird because like a few months ago we were talking about Morazic as like the clear starter on the team i was even just listening to a recent near mint uh, hockey card podcast right before the playoffs where they were expecting that Morazic will start game one and next thing you know now Nadelkovic is leading this team and we'll see how far they can go against now the tampa bay lightning 
I wonder, you know, we're talking about Knight Sorokin and Nadelkovich, which maybe we would have predicted talking about one of the three, and I guess maybe two of the... I just wonder how many goalies we're not talking about right now we're going to be talking about a year from now. This is wild with so many goalies making their names, and Nadelkovich is one of them. Do you know that Nadelkovich has now started six games in a row for Carolina? Do you know how rare... That is the last time that happened in the Carolina crease was at the end of 2018-19. So two years ago, when Petr Mrazek had started eight straight games before being injured. And maybe that's why Carolina hasn't done it again since. Before that, it was another two years before that. Four years ago, Cam Ward started more than six in a row for Carolina. Um, basically, I'm bringing this up to say that it would be an organizational shift to ride a number one goalie. Uh, like, and make Nadalkovich just be their workhorse. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's something that's going to happen since most teams generally avoid that if they can, except for Tampa. But a lot of this is going to hinge on who Carolina brings in as a backup. It would be nice if they could hold on to Petamorazic at a team friendly deal who can still split the net or be a 1B to Alex Nadalkovich. Um, but I really think that Nadalkovich has the inside track on anybody for being the number one A. Next year, I don't know that he's got number one capability, but we said the same thing about Knight and Sorokin, that we don't know if any of them can really break away as a true number one. I think I would take Nadelkovich ahead of them, but not too far ahead, uh, just because I think he might play more. Again, I'm really just going for games played here, and I think it's possible that Nadelkovich plays more games. Uh, he might be better than Sorokin at this point. I'm not sure where he stands in a side-by-side comparison against Spencer Knight. But holy cow, Nadalkovich's regular season was really, really impressive. Uh, like top of the table in Delta Fenwick save percentage. So that's a reason to like Nadalkovich and be excited to see what he has to offer next season. I definitely know that Will Nadeau, goalie expert who's been on our show before, is listening to this and be like, no, like Sorokin is much better than Nadelkovic in terms of like just like actually watching the goalies play. Uh, I know that uh, Nadelkovic though has been very impressive this year. And yeah, who just throw him in the pile of the goalies that will all be in the same tier next year when trying to project who you should have better. Probably it's just like get whoever you can last between Knight, Sorokin, Nadelkovic, Cam Talbot. I don't know. We'll probably have another couple by the time we get to that episode. And it's just like take some skaters and hope you get one of these guys. And they all probably have a similar chance to help you. Uh, interestingly, uh, Sebastian Ajo, he did well. He, like, when I'm saying interestingly, so like, not so interesting that Sebastian Ajo had an amazing round one, seven points in six games. Most Kane skaters who would have gone high in playoff pools were kind of busts, like outside of Ajo, right? Like Svechnikov, Trocek, Teravainen, Nino Niederreiter, they all put up only three points or less in the six games. Uh, the types of guys who were putting up points, meanwhile, with Ajo were his line mates, Martin Nachas and Brock McGinn, and then Jordan Stahl out of nowhere had a really good series. So that was like five points for Stahl, five points for Nachas, four points for McGinn. Brian, if you were somehow miraculously able to make it to round two of the keeping carlson playoff pool and aho is gone and it's your turn to pick the second carolina hurricanes player who would you take do you go with uh the one like you know like a tevo or svechnikov or trocek who were so great in the regular season or do you lean more to like a nachas who's having a strong playoffs i'm not thrown too much by the performances svechnikov teravainen and trocek uh, so much that I would pass them over. But if I did, it would be for Martin HS, sure. Uh, but I, I don't think I would do that. Uh, also, Jordan Stahl, like he's looked so great, right? I, I'm not saying I would take him above either of any of those guys we've just mentioned, but holy cow, he looks like he is on a mission this year, just watching him play. Like sometimes they, like, you just see, 
I know this is funny to hear from me, uh, who's usually like uh, not talking or acknowledging the intangibles too much and just saying like, these guys are who they are. And, um, you know, this is what we can always expect from them. But he seems maybe like a JG Pajot who has just flipped this other switch, especially this year. Do you even know that Stahl has only been in the playoffs with Carolina three times? And uh, last year was not very successful. He had no points in eight games last postseason, but 10 points in 15 games in the playoffs before that. At 32 years old, Jordan Stahl seems like a guy who, yeah, this is a fancy hockey robot saying this, who can really lead. And I would love to have Jordan Stahl on a roster that's uh, on my roster that's contending for a cup. Just seems like a real key piece this year. And I love watching him. He seems so jacked every time he's in a player scores a goal. Yeah, I mean, and not only playoffs, right? Like He's just had such an amazing season. He had 38 points in 53 games, 60-point uh, pace. There was stretches where he was like an MVP for weeks in our regular season pools where he was just getting points every single game. So yeah, Jordan Stubb, we'll see if he can keep that up for next year. I think my number two after Aho would be Nechas, to be honest, and KKPP. Like, he's it's playing close. with Aho, and Aho is just amazing. And Nechas had a great season himself, right? 41 points in 53 games, a former 12th overall pick in 2017. The Shane is saying here in the chat, like... Uh, another drafting win by the team. Like Carolina's really drafted some great players and they've been able to build this team. I guess they made that great trade to get Dougie Hamilton. Uh, and then the rest is mostly homegrown talent. I guess also getting Trocek was useful. Yeah, that was a great trade too. Uh, wow. Carolina Hurricanes. So hopefully, but there they've got a tough opponent. They've got the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it'll be really tough to get by them. Uh, the, the Lightning and their overly extended cap that they get to use for this playoffs. And I don't want to get into that again, Brian. Okay, so... <laughs> Let's move on to the team now that Carolina beat where the Nashville Predators. Brian, what happened to your favorite player, Ellie Tolvanen? He put up a goose egg in the four games he played. He was even scratched in game six in favor of Brad Richardson. He also ended the regular season with only one assist in his final seven games. Kind of similar to what I said about Tristan Jari, right? Like he started the year slow. Then he went on a great run for a couple months. You couldn't stop talking about the guy on the podcast and his great power play skills. Then he ended cold, including in the playoffs. Uh, has this last month discouraged you at all about Tolvanen? Are you still ready to project him as a power play savant going into next season? 40 power play points easy. <laughs> well, those are two different things. A power play, <laughs> well, maybe a savant and 40 power play points go together. I'd call him closer to a power play specialist and maybe 15 to 20 power play points. Yeah, I'm not shaken from believing that that could be true, especially because that's the only way Nashville has found success on their power play is with Tolvanen on it. He did have a couple games where he was making an impression. Uh, they were like four and a half period games. There were two double OT games where he had six shots and four shots. Uh, but those games were sandwiched by ones in which Tolvanen was much less impactful. I can't say I'm that surprised, Elon, that he didn't put up huge points here. Like, it would have been a great place for him to make an impression and to show himself to be, uh, like someone who can't be scratched from the roster. But, uh, I, you know, as a, if you're playing for Nashville, you need to be able to prove yourself reliable against a top team at five on five. Like, look at that Nashville roster. It's a bunch of nobodies who, uh, lean on their two way games to stay in the lineup and do their jobs. And then you look at Tolvanen, who had a 38% shot attempt share while on the ice at five on five. That's real ugly. That was the second worst number on the team, better only than Mathieu Olivier, who was also scratched for most of the series. He only played in two games. Um, you know, all of Nashville, by the way, was getting beat. That 38% number is awful. Um, relatively, it's not as awful as it looks, but it's still like 
uh, six or seven percent less than what uh, other predators forwards were seeing. So you're not getting away being Ali Tolvanen with having limited defensive usefulness with the way Nashville plays and how they decided they needed to play against Carolina. I think there's going to be room for him to play night in, night out next year and keep working on his two-way game in a non-playoff scenario. I don't think uh, this at all spells the end of him, but I do think he might have burned one more chance to really show that he can handle uh, his responsibilities on both ends of the ice, which is something we know he's been working on for the last year or two. So I'm curious to see what he comes back and does next year. I think he's still an important part of the lineup because of what he offers on the power play. But yeah, jury's still out on exactly what Tolvanen can offer at five on five. Yeah, I guess when you're at the point in your draft where you're looking at a Jeff Carter or Kasperi Kapanen, like we were discussing earlier, maybe take a look at Tolvanen there as a potential sleeper, because we did see a really good run in the regular season. And maybe, like you said, they'll be more patient with him having lapses during the regular season than they were in the playoffs. Uh, one guy who was actually good on offense, and there aren't that many on the team, the real star of the series for natural is UC Saros, right? He's amazing. Uh, I think we could say that Saros is probably going to be ranked ahead of all these other goalies we've talked about, like even like a Sorokin and Spencer Knight. Like you see Saros just such an MVP just for fantasy overall uh, This uh, the end of the season, right? After he came back from his injury, he was one of the best goalies you could have in fantasy. And then he continued in the playoffs. And then a, a forward that was good was Mikhail Granlund. So got to give him some credit. Five points in six games. He's a UFA at the end of this year. He signed that one-year deal with Nashville. I wonder if Nashville re-ups, even though it seems like he hasn't had that much success with the team overall. He seemed like he was their best offensive player in the playoffs, which is, I guess, a bigger problem because you would hope that we'd be saying Philip Forsberg here. Which is actually kind of funny because Granlund was just barely better than Ellie Tolvanen in a defensive way this season, if you're looking at shot attempt share. So uh, I guess he covered the, up those deficiencies with points, which is what let him sort of escape the same sort of scrutiny. Also, having been in the NHL for years probably helped uh, that Ellie Tolvanen had. But it was a nice... Nice little glimpse of what Granlund can offer offensively. I don't know, man. I don't know where he can land next season that I'll be like, oh, yeah, this works. You know what I'd like to see? Minnesota. Yeah. I'd <laughs> love to see him go back and yeah. center Kirill Kaprizov in Minnesota and revert to his uh, 60, 70 point form of old, which might be too big an ask, but like 60 points centering Kaprizov seems doable for Mikhail Granlund. Make it happen. I, I would like that. Or whatever. Marco Rossi could center Kaprizov and like Fiala could play with Granlund. Like, I feel like Minnesota could use a good center. So why not bring in Granlund right now, especially since he's had success there in the past? I don't even know why they traded him. I guess they really liked. Who was it? Who did they trade for? him? It, it was Kevin Fiala. Oh, yeah, obviously. Okay, so obviously hard to blame Minnesota for trading Granlund away, considering they got Kevin Fiala. But if you could have both, all the better, right? Okay, so Brian, let's end this show in Canada which is probably where we should have started the show if we wanted that sweet SEO. But I don't know. Do people like download the podcast? And then t- we get we get the DL at that point anyways. It doesn't even matter. I guess maybe if it's a streaming service like Spotify, maybe we don't get the credit if people... Anyways, obviously people assumed that we're going to talk about Canada at some point. Out West, we didn't get too many games out of that Oilers-Winnipeg series. Right? We were talking about some things in the last episode that we're excited to see. We only got four games. Such a disappointing end to such a promising season for the Edmonton Oilers who got swept by the Jets. But where are you currently sitting in this discussion of like how... Like, 
I, like the, you know, like the Oilers lost. Everyone is like, you know, discussing like, oh my god, another wasted year of McDavid. Like, the, what are the Oilers doing? And there was a lot of interesting tweets about, you know, it's not really like the Oilers' fault they lost. Like that, or maybe it is, but there's also a lot of other things. Like, first of all, they just ran into Connor Hellebuck being amazing. I don't know how much weight you put on that. Like, in terms of like, if you could take away some blame from the Oilers. Also, they just like weren't getting the calls. There was that great article by Don Lucision about how McDavid hasn't drawn a penalty in each of the last two playoffs, which is kind of weird. Uh, considering he's one of the best players and he's clearly if you watch the games getting hauled down and speared and all these things all throughout the games uh so i don't know like do you think that this is the kind of thing where the oilers really need to rethink a lot of things even though they had a strong regular season after this week playoffs or do you think it's kind of like give it another go next year without i mean they're gonna have to make some changes though right like ryan Eugene hopkins is a ufa tyson barry is a ufa Mike Smith, their starting goalie, is a UFA. So they're going to have to figure some things out. I don't know. Like, what can this team do to to get – I mean, there's obviously a lot. Okay, I'm ready for you. I know you have rants about the Oilers. So I'm ready for you to go. <laughs> well, okay. So I should – first, I want to apologize to you because I think in our Discord server, uh, when Edmonton was eliminated, and I, like, you know, went for the low-hanging fruit. Like, I'm just frust- – I was just frustrated. And, like, this team – like, you have McDavid. You have Drysaddle. Do something – like, there's no excuse for the roster you have uh, in a time where you have two of the be- the best player in the world, plus potentially the second best player in the world, both playing for you, plus Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. And, like, you've had so many lottery wins. Come on, guys. Figure it out. And then you were like, well, is it possible they just had bad luck? And I think I just, like, went on a rant after that about how, like, you know, bad luck, schmad luck. But two things can be true about the Oilers being upset. The first group could be, yeah, bad luck. They ran into a hot goalie in Connor Hallebuck. They also weren't drawing penalties when they certainly deserved to be drawing more penalties. I I watched McDavid get mugged all series, uh, even more so than I watched McDavid get mugged in the regular season, which is uh, that article by Dom that you mentioned was excellent. Like, holy cow, I just want to watch the best hockey players get to play hockey. That's all I want. And I don't see why... uh, why the NHL and their officiating would be working against that. So uh, I'm sure everyone's read the article. If not, the athletic, uh, look up Dom. Like, you'll you'll find it. The athletic penalties Dom. <laughs> That's your Google search. Why don't we link to it in the show notes? I think I, we have this technology. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll take that extra step just for you, dear listener. Um, okay, so the first, the first thing that can be true is that the Oilers uh, didn't get quite what they deserved in that series. Like, a lot of factors worked against them that were out of their control. The second thing that can also be true is that there are lots of things in their control that I don't think they had adequately taken care of. And that's the team they've put together. Look at that roster. Such thin defense. They got super lucky that Mike Smith was as good as he was this season. Uh, That was unpredictable and not supposed to happen. And of course, now it's like, well, uh, they're looking at bringing him back next year. Okay, sure. Hope lightning can strike twice. Um, I mean, I like... What they did in the offseason, to some extent, they took a shot on guys like Cahoon and Turris and Tyler Ennis. And it's unfortunate that neither of those guys, including uh, Josh Archibald or Ryan, like any anybody they tried in the top six, nobody actually worked out. You would think they would hit if they took enough shots, which I think was their philosophy. So I like that, but it didn't work. And it just looks like a really sad roster. And I just... Like, McDavid's uh, 24 already. Drysaddle's 25 already. That was the last year of having RNH at $6 million. I, I don't know what his future looks like or what his uh, next contract looks like, whether it'll be higher or lower. I would assume at least the same, maybe a little higher. 
But in any case, it just bums me out that we don't get to see more of these guys. And that's partially on the league and partially on the Oilers. So uh, what I'd like to see is uh, for them to make some, like, you're like, I, I don't know, you said something when you were talking about um, management, like, wh- what would you like them to think about? And I like, I, I fe- feel like the Oilers are long due for big rethink. And I think they haven't had it because of ownership. And because of the sorts of people that they tend to hire who are like these hockey lifers who like there just hasn't been a whole lot of not that a a hockey lifer might be good at their job but uh, if you want innovative thinking you've got to bring in fresh people and fresh ideas and I just haven't seen that in Edmonton and we've seen the results of not doing in Edmonton for so long and it would just be a shame for a generational superstar to not uh, be able to show his stuff on his way to contending for a cup could the Oilers win a cup with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and a bunch of nobodies and getting lucky with their goaltending? Yeah, they might be able to. But why? Especially when, like, why go that route? Especially when, uh, like, you see these things, uh, this bad luck happening, not drawing penalties, and a hot goalie. You know what things will mitigate that bad luck? Having an actually better team. So that's what I'd like to see the Oilers do, is be competitive. Forget about your James Neals and Zach Cassians and Alex Chiesons of the world and move on and your Chris Russells too. And just go for it, man. Like find a way to get in some top end talent. I know obviously that's easier said than done. Um, I don't know. I, if I knew the answer, Elon, maybe I'd be an NHL executive. I don't yeah. know the answer, but I know what I don't want them to do. I just feel bad for them. Like, I know, like, everything you're saying is true. And, like, when you look at this roster and it's sad. But also, one interesting thing that you said is, like, they took some swings on some guys that I think we were, like, going into the year. We're like, okay, this is good. Like, Kyle Turris, he could could be good. And, like, whatever. Kuhn. And also, like, they have these other players, like, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. You know, we thought he was going to take this, like, big step forward. Like, he, I don't know, not a bust, but, like, nothing special. Like, I know you're, like, excited about Jesse Pugliarvi. But it's like, he was fine. Like, fine now. McDavid has a winger. But he's not, like, a star. Like, he was first round pick fourth overall like we'll see if hopefully what like they need like i know they've had all these lottery picks in the past but now it's like they're la- since 2016 they've drafted in the first round so puli rv yamamoto then evan bouchard who will wait and see hope you know then philip broberg and then dylan holloway this past year so i mean it would be nice for them if they could get like one of these draft picks to hit and yeah they'll need to sign someone good like it would be nice if clef bomb could come back healthy next year uh they're, they're they're having some money coming off the books right so they can do something this summer either like resign using all the money to resign rnh we'll see what they do with Tyson Barry. They've also got Larson. Adam Larson's like big contract is finally off. Obviously, that's the big mistake that everyone always looks back to trading Hall for Larson. But Hall probably would have left his UFA at some point. So I don't know. It's tough. Good luck to them. I, I agree with you. Maybe they just need some new heads in there to come up with some good solutions. But uh, I think they've had bad luck, not only in terms of the officiating and the goalie they're going against, but also it seems like every player they take a shot on, like, just doesn't work out. Like, everyone sucks. It's like, everyone sucks. Yeah. Once you go to Edmonton, you suck. <laughs> yeah, so at that point, I think you have to look in the mirror and be like, why does this? Yeah, I think yeah. this was the first year where they took that really concerted effort to, like, like went with that strategy and be like, okay, if we buy enough lotto tickets, one will pay off, and it seemed reasonable again. Again, um, but at some point, if nothing good keeps happening to you except winning lotteries, you need to look in the mirror and figure out what you need to fix, like from the top all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, like what are they going to do in nets? Like, fine, they could resign Mike Smith, hopefully for only like a million or a million and a half, like they got him for this year. Um, but that should be your backup, right? Or you're like, but they have, they're stuck with Koskinen. Like, should they sign another? Should they sign two goalies, like Smith and someone else? 
I don't know what they're. I guess they've got Staylock, who they traded for, or they picked up out of waivers or whatever. I don't know. We'll see what they do. Yeah. That, that could be a problem. All right. Uh, then we got the Leafs Habs. So, oh, I didn't talk about. We'll talk about the Jets. You know, the Jets are going to have another round. So maybe next episode we'll talk more about the Jets. I didn't really find anything too interesting to sink our teeth into. But obviously, we've got to talk about Leafs Habs to end the show. Uh, that's thrown, like I said at the start, quite a wrench into our KKPP plans where we were supposed to do a draft uh, before every single round. We are still going to do a round two draft once round one ends. Unfortunately, there's going to be some games already in the books. I think that David Pasternak, there's a good chance he'll be a first overall pick in the round two drafts considering he already got a hat trick in game one and there's going to be a second game of info. So if he has another big game, it might just be like round two's over before it starts because everyone who gets first overall pick takes David Pasternak. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, I'd say the biggest storyline for the Leafs so far i mean there's a lot but i want to bring up william nylander right who's having a killer playoffs four goals and three assists in the six games going into game seven on monday uh and that's with his stud centerman john Tavares out he had that scary collision with Corey perry as we all know and you'd think that would really hurt nylander but no he's playing with your i think in the last game it was like felino and galchenyuk or something he didn't get any points in the last game for what it's worth but yeah like nylander's just having this great run uh scoring four goals in six games is really hard to do uh he had a 68 point pace this season which is actually similar to matt barzell so brian here's a question for you after you're saying you still have a lot of faith in Barzal uh who would you take in fantasy first next year let's say a couple scoring Nylander versus Barzal like do you think because basically they had a similar number of points this season Nylander's obviously showing us a more exciting playoffs so far do you think this playoffs is an indication that Nylander could be you know maybe that 70 75 point guy that we were expecting from Barzal yeah, I would take William, some assembly acquired Nylander ahead of Matt Barzell because of Nylander's upside and his power play points, too. I remember, Nylander had a 71-point pace the season before this. So he's been right up there with Barzell for two seasons now and has been doing it with uh, with less ice, like at five-on-five five this season. Nylander lost 70 seconds a night, and he lost uh, about 100 seconds a night total of time on ice between this season and the one before it. And I see that actually as being kind of a positive. Like that looks to me as maybe Nylander, especially with his playoff performance, he has some room to grow and reclaim that ice time. Uh, I guess if I'm really, truly trying to project the Leafs next year, it depends a lot. Like we're, this, this is being recorded on Sunday, May 30th. So uh, game seven runs uh, Monday, May 31st. Uh, and projecting the Leafs next year depends a lot on where their playoff run goes from here. Right. If the, if Toronto gets to the conference finals, I imagine the group stays together and things stay reasonably similar to this year. Uh, but if the Leafs fall short of that, especially if they're out in the first round this year, uh, I, I, I don't know to what extent this team can get uh, blown up and, and you know some different approaches and directions taken. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I can't comfortably predict the Leafs uh, if they do end up getting knocked out in the first or second round, because I think that'll mean some big changes. Uh, but I think in any scenario, things probably look good for William Nylander, especially, like I said, with his performance lately. And it, another good season from him. He just does this quietly because there's so much other star power happening. So uh, yeah, I like Nylander over Matt Barzal. Do you concur? I think so. Hard to argue. Take the guy who's playing with John Tavares, right? Like, Barzell had Tavares back in the day, and he was <laughs> awesome. Now it's Nylander, so we'll see if anyone else gets a shot at some point. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Like, if the Leafs lose tomorrow, 
Jeez, man. Because I wa- that overtime yesterday in game six, like, it was all Leafs. Like, they dominated. Yeah. I don't think the Habs took a shot for, like, the first ten minutes or something. And it's just Carey Price just kept on, like, stonewalling them. And then, like, Cockney got that chance. And next thing you know, uh, we're going to game seven. And I guess that's how it could go. And I feel like if the Leafs lose tomorrow... I just can't imagine, but it's a good team. I don't. I hope they don't shake it up too much. But I guess we'll we'll talk about that if and when the time comes. But okay, Brian, on Montreal, uh, they're doing their hab things, right? You got your Joel Armias, your Kakaniemis, your Corey Perrys being the unlikely heroes. Meanwhile, uh, the players who you would have drafted in your playoff pools that you would have expected to be really good, guys like Thomas Tatar, he only has one assist in five games, and he was scratched yesterday. He got the Tolvanen treatment. Uh, Jeff Petrie finally picked up his first assist of the series yesterday. He's been a bust, like no points before that. Brendan Gallagher, who came back from his injury, I wonder if he's fully healed. He's got no points in six games so far. Still getting to Game 7 versus the Leafs, so obviously they can't be complaining too much. Brian, if you don't mind, I'd love to focus on Gallagher. Of course, I'm curious to get takes on Tatar and Petrie if you're interested, but I want to focus on Gallagher for a selfish reason. He's been a steal in cap leagues, and I'm in one now, a dynasty league, which I've discussed before. Uh, For the past six years, Gallagher's had a $3.75 million cap hit, which has been a steal. And when we drafted him, I was like, yeah. I'll take a 3.75 million Brennan Gallagher in a multi-cat league. Thank you very much. But now he's about to start a six-year, $6.5 million contract. Uh, and uh, that's coming at age 29. And he's coming off a 54-point pace season where he missed time with injury. And like I said, so far, nothing in the playoffs. So what do you recommend to people who have, like in most dynasty leagues, like mine, it's like when a new contract kicks in, that's when you can just decide to drop the person, not accept the contract or whatever, try to trade him for a pick or whatever. Or once he like plays a game on his new contract, then I'm going to be stuck with him for six years going into like his age 35, basically at the $6.5 million hit. Do you think like that 60 point pace, Brendan Gallagher from 2019-20 is still in there and can make him worth that big contract? Or is this like clearly a time to cut bait because he's only going to continue to get worse? I don't know. I really don't know what to do with this guy and this contract. It's a, it's a really good question, and I think part of the answer for me, I need to look at Carey Price's contract and see how much longer he's signed for, because however much longer Carey Price is signed for, which, by the way, is five years, I'll, I'll spoil the answer right now, um, that's how long the Habs still have to pay him $10.5 million, which I think is going to keep them from being a much more offensive team than they are right now. I, I guess I see that knowing that's what Florida is paying Bobrovsky and we expect huge things from Barkov and Huberdeau, but the Canadians don't have anybody of that scoring pedigree and nor do I know that they will because it's going to be a while till they're drafting. Like they're, they're sort of like this mid-pack team that never really has a high draft pick um, to get. I mean, they have Nick Suzuki coming up, but I think... In terms of star power, that might be about it. Elon, I you mean, can correct me about their prospect pipeline if I'm wrong. Well, Cole Caulfield. Oh, Cole, are obviously uh, really excited about him. Oh, actually, I'm glad you brought him up because uh, you know, like how I always rant about coaches and scratches. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. I can I do this rant for you actually quickly, okay. and you could jump in on top of it. He was scratched for game one. Like it was so obvious that he was going to play in this series, right? Like it was like I don't even understand what was the point of Ducharme. Like like obviously at some point Caulfield was going to get in. I feel like we all knew it. So why not just play him from the start if you know you're going to want? And he's good. 
Let's just play him. I don't know why they scratched him. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Ducharme scratched both Caulfield and Kat Kaniemi. So Kat Kaniemi, the, the Game 6 hero. And Caulfield has been like one of the more dynamic Montreal forwards all series long. And this is that moment where it's like, oh, yeah, like where you might... Anybody who wants to defend the coach is like, oh, yeah, Ducharme was totally right to do that. Look at little little fire under them. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Caulfield fly around the ice? Did you see Kaniemi get that goal? He doesn't want to get scratched again. And for me, I'm just like, I think instead, this probably just proves that neither one necessarily should have been scratched in the first place. Where where do you lean on? Like, you know, I hate when, when coaches scratch star players. And I'm not mad about the Tolvanen scratch, but I, I guess I could be sort of more okay with the Kotkaniemi scratch than the Caulfield scratch. But in any case, it just feels like this galaxy brain thing that coaches do to try and assert, like, dominance and discipline. I don't even know if it was that, Like, there's so many other tools at play. I feel like it was more like... I think Ducharme was more thinking in terms of this is the playoffs. We need more like playoffy guys in the lineup and not, you know, like we need like defensively responsible, like black, like bore, like tough players, not these like young hot shots who are fast and skate well around I the guess, ice. Like, but that's I a that thinking, that's a thinking error though, right? Well, yeah, I just don't think it was like him. Like you're like jumping to like this conclusion that he's like trying okay. to assert dominance. No, sorry, like- I, I was I was going a little over the top for sure. But I still think like there's that that's it's an old school mentality to think okay, our youngest guys just aren't ready for this. I'm not going to give them the chance. I'm not. I don't feel comfortable as a coach taking that risk. Where like, look, maybe you shouldn't have scratched either of these guys who have been. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Brian. Anyway. So what do I do with Gallagher? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Carey Price signed for five more years. You've got Caulfield and Suzuki. And apologies, I'm sure Habs fans were like screaming uh, that I didn't mention Caulfield sooner when trying to recall their prospect pipeline. Uh, Yeah, I just don't know when the Habs are going to be a high-scoring team. And until that happens, I think Gallagher's in 55, 60-point territory. It's actually really impressive that this season, Gallagher was on a 54-point pace, even though he was pacing for fewer than 10 power play points, which, by the way, is apparently just how he rolls. The past three years, uh, he's been on, like, power play 1B for the most part and uh, has not paced for more than like seven or eight power play points in a season. Also, Brendan Gallagher was only playing 15 minutes a night for the Canadians this season, which is the second lowest average ice time of Gallagher's career, uh, higher than only his rookie season. So the fact that he still paced for 54 points, I think is pretty impressive. Uh, like a little bump in his shooting percentage certainly helped with that, but he still got a bunch of shots off, still was a decent hitter for a forward. I think there's a lot of reasons to like Gallagher as like a steady 55, 60 point player, but it's all, playing for the Habs is almost like playing for the Isles. Uh, you might have one player who exceeds that 60 points. And that's always been in my mind. Gallagher has had the potential to be that guy. But I don't know he's going to be that guy. And the rest of the lineup is going to fall under the 60-point mark for as long as Montreal is playing this defensive style and doesn't have the personnel or cap space to turn into a more offensive uh, powerhouse. So uh, if you're asking me whether to keep him for $6 million, I like obviously there's a lot of questions in the cap league. What would you do with the cap savings? What else, like How many other points could you get? I guess my question for you is would 55, 60 points cut it for you? Because I, I think that's all you can hope for. 
Yeah, I think that would be like the 60 would be good. Uh, I'm more worried about maybe him declining as he heads into his 30s. One uh, counterpoint, I guess one reason to maybe be into him, or maybe you could tell me if this is actually a reason to not be into him. Like his line mates for these past few seasons have been Tatar and Deneau, who are both unrestricted free agents, right? So there's probably a good chance these guys are gone. And that means that Gallagher gets fresh, brand new line mates potentially. And don't forget, that's like the defensive line, the responsible line, the boring line. But that's the role me. he's given i know but i'm saying that if it, it, all of a sudden if he doesn't have these boring defensive players well not that tatar is a defensive player but you know like if he's not playing being centered by dino maybe is he instead instead centered by kakaniemi maybe he gets to play with cole caulfield like what if gallagher gets a shot to play with some of these more exciting players because he's going to play with someone he's not going to be on the fourth line right so he's going to maybe suzuki like i don't know maybe- i guess but on the flip side of that maybe because those other very responsible defensive players are gone if they're not retained maybe uh, Gallagher suffers as a result, right? Because he's asked to take on more of a defensive workload. There's a lot of ways this can go. Also, like Gallagher's line, by the way, it's sort of like a a misnomer is the wrong word, a misconception that, um, that they're really not offensive. They're really, they're, they put a lot of shots on net. They're not, there's no great finisher on the line is what it comes down to, but they're very good at controlling play. Oh, okay, great. So yeah, give him a good finisher to play with. I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe there could be a shakeup that could help him break through that 60-point pace. And like, I don't know if I totally... Like, just the fact that they have this carry price. And like, I wonder if now that they have these like young stars who are like more offensive in Suzuki and Caulfield and Kakaniemi, I do wonder... You know, they have Toffoli. So I do wonder if maybe a shift can happen even with their current cap situation. By the way, uh, Tatar and Dano combined make like $8 million. So they theoretically have some space coming off where they could... I I don't know take a shot on like a i was just about taylor hall as my like default like free agent to go for but maybe like someone of that caliber so we'll have to wait and see i don't know they have shown a willingness to try and add a big name scorer to the team right remember they offer sheeted sebastian ajo did they actually go ahead and do that or just yeah, say they, they were that. gonna do yeah no they did it. it was silly yeah it was silly but they did it so i mean they were ready to put their money where their mouth is so yeah. I, it would be nice i mean they've now since added tyler defoley it'd be nice but i think gallagher like bottom line is he's limited by the style his team plays and at this point in his career like for the next six years uh what he's 29 years old he just turned 29 this month okay so next year will be his age 29 season he's not getting any younger and i just don't see that that high watermark being far above 60 points for him that's fair. Yeah. And obviously we'll see if the Habs change their style with some players leaving or if it stays the same. Okay. And let's, first let's see if, what happens tomorrow, right? That's the most <laughs> interesting thing about the Habs right now. So let's maybe end the show with a few quick predictions. Brian, so first of all, Habs Leafs, game seven. Who do you got? I think Toronto is going to blow out the Habs. I really Ooh. do. I would love to see a close one goal game, but I feel like it's going to be over and it's going to be over fast. Okay. I think I'm, I don't know about the blowout, but uh, I think the Leafs have got to win. Come on. It's so crazy that they keep blowing. Well, I saw that they've had seven elimination games in a row that they've lost. Like games where like they could have won to advance and they've just lost every time. They can't close out a series. They're not closers. Uh, okay. So then Leafs versus Jets. Who would you have there? If the Leafs get, are you okay with me just throwing uh, two up basically <laughs> okay. predicting the rest of the playoffs? Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, I mean, the Jets are going to be rested and Hellebuck is still ready to stand on his head. And if the Jets could stop, McDavid and Dreisaitl, maybe they can stop the Leafs too. I think, I, I, I mean, the obvious choice is Toronto. I don't, I, I think I would go even a tired Toronto team, Santa Tavares. How about you? 
Yeah, I think I'll go Toronto also. Hopefully Tavares will be back. Yeah, it's not like as sure a thing as it would have been. If that if that was a first round matchup, it would be very easy to just say Toronto. But at this point, I, like it's definitely closer. It felt very easy to say that Edmonton was going to beat Winnipeg. Winnipeg was not looking good going into the season. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. Okay, uh, so by the way, Brian, you're not going to be happy. Uh, Colorado is oh. now up 4 nothing against Vegas. Robin Leonard's letting four goals on 23 shots. I have a feeling Fleury's going to be getting back in the net tomorrow. And Fleury, whatever. So Leonard doesn't have to worry. He's got his like long-term contract, which is what he wanted for all these years. So whatever. So maybe he doesn't get to play more of this playoffs, but he'll still have a good run next year as he always does. I'm sure he's also though, like an F1 driver and wants to be number one. Like, I don't think he's just happy with, well, uh, sure. with, with having a nice contract, but I'm glad, I'm glad he got it before this happened. What do you think? Okay. No, so who do you think? Are you taking Colorado yeah. over Vegas? Honestly, okay. I could see it going in four games. Like, I just think Colorado is so good. Like, I know I predicted Colorado in four in the last round and I was right. So maybe I should, like, just go double or nothing here and just uh, take yeah. them again to sweep. I love that. And Tampa, Carolina? I'm going to go Tampa, which I know is easy to say because they just won their game. But yeah, I'll take Tampa and I'll take Boston. And then what would that be then in terms of the seeding? If it's Toronto, Colorado, Tampa, and Boston. I guess Tampa would be the lowest ranked team, I believe. Oh, no, Boston would be the lowest ranked team. And Colorado would be the highest ranked team. So it would be Colorado versus Boston. Give me Colorado. Are you with me so far on all these predictions or do you have something different? Uh, yeah, I think I like I like I said, I think a lot of the series this round are really exciting. Like it's really close and a lot of really great teams. So uh, I, I think I'll just say I'm with you. Uh, pred- predicting for me is like a fool's errand. I'm really yeah, bad okay. at it. So I'll just finish this off here then. Okay. So then we've got Toronto versus Tampa Bay. I'm going to say Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. And then... And then I'm loving a Tampa Bay, Colorado, Stanley Cup final. Give it to me with no injuries. I want to see both of these teams at full strength in the finals. And I can't predict. It's too hard. Give them three weeks rest before the finals. Why not? It's It's already played too late anyway. Or play the finals right before preseason. How about that? That's crazy. It's like it's like when a, when a show ends, you know, like Survivor. Don't you have to wait two weeks for the finale? No, no. (laughs) but the players who play Survivor, like they finish and then they don't find out who won until like eight months later. Yeah, so it's like that. Yeah, or it's like like a cliffhanger, like a a season ends in a TV show. Something needs to be resolved, and it's resolved at the start of the next year. I mean, I think what you're suggesting in the is like more like the NFL, right? They take a week a week off before the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I think the NHL should do that. Like, I'm not saying wait until the preseason, but uh, I think you could give the teams a week to rest up and make sure because that will be so fun. Only do that if it's Colorado versus Tampa, though. If it's like <laughs> other teams, I don't really care that much, but because Colorado's just going to win easily. Uh, all right, this has been a fun show, Brian. Uh, two weeks off, so we had a lot to get to. I didn't even think I thought this would maybe be a one hour show, but I should have known better. <laughs> we had a lot of pent up discussion. So fun chatting with you. I wish we could keep. I guess we could keep chatting. We could just stop recording and then chat all night. But as far as the listeners go, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to a playoff episode of Keeping Carlson. Like I said at the start, you're the real fans of the show that we really appreciate. We'd love to hear from you. Even just tweet at us at Keeping Carlson and be like, I listened. I liked it. I didn't like it. Hopefully you liked it. I don't know. You probably would have stopped listening if you're at this point and you, you didn't like it. You can even just say hello. Just Keeping Carlson, hi. Yeah, because our uh, little secret behind the scenes here. Uh, you might be surprised to know our listenership goes down like by more than double like once the regular season is over. So if you're listening, that means, again, you're a diehard and we love you very much. So thanks for listening. Uh, 
So again, tweet at us on Twitter, say hi. Uh, you could give us that five-star review on iTunes that we're always so thirsty for over on Apple Podcasts, if you'd be so kind. Uh, if you want to check out our Patreon right now, all throughout the summer, this is like a buck a month, the lowest we can make it, and we give you all the perks that we could think of. So that's our monthly patron cast. Last week's was really fun. Uh, our Patreon community, the Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool is already going. I guess you could follow along with that. And you know, you could also just message Brian and I on the Discord and tell us what else you want, and we'll probably give it to you because we love our patrons. That's keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And of course, Thanks to all the patrons who have stuck with us. Uh, Brian, I think with that, I'm good to say that this episode is done. We'll probably come back in a couple weeks, uh, unless you uh, think that we should start doing those beat writer interviews. Uh, maybe also tweet at us and let us know if you want us to do beat writer interviews now, or if you want to wait a little longer. But uh, that's kind of the plan for the summer is, you know, we're going to talk a bit about the playoffs, and then I'm going to start interviewing some beat writers from around the league. We'll start with teams that have already been eliminated, you know, ask the Buffalo Sabres person, like, what's going on with the Sabres? And then we'll learn something interesting about each team there. But anyways, all that said, Brian, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? That's also the voice that Elon uses when he talks to beat writers. He's a very, very loud and aggressive voice. Also yeah. a hard-hitting interviewer. Yeah, when we get the Dallas Stars, I'll be like, because Adam brought up a really good point in the chat, Brian, when you were doing your rant about... Okay, stop the outro music, by the way. Okay, uh, when you were doing your rant about scratching, Adam brought up a good point that, did you know that Jason Robertson was like on the team for Dallas when they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals last year? And he was just scratched. They didn't play him because they didn't want to play young players, I guess. They wanted to play their, their veterans. Imagine if Dallas had Robertson, this like... Like super awesome talent that would have been cool anyway just throwing it out there uh maybe play your young players may might work out like maybe it's outdated to want to have only veterans for your playoffs even though uh, i guess pat maroon has been a mainstay and i don't I mean, know that's what we were just saying about montreal <laughs> i know that's what i'm saying so i'm saying yeah. like maybe other teams could also do that anyways okay let's re-cue that outro music Brian, go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by brandonweeb.com. Outro music from Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great talking to you, Brian. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Looking forward to talking to you in a couple weeks to break down round two. Until then, uh, enjoy the playoffs. And remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.